Oh, how are you, Renee? Happy New Year. Very good, thank you. Happy New Year, John. Uh, we've done this, I think... I think it's a tradition at this point that yeah. we've had a sort of year in a review on the talk show with me and you. Apple, an Apple year in review. I mean, we can't do the whole year for everything because we'd be here for a whole year. <laughs> the whole year. But what you know? What better way to end the new year than a look back at the year? Is that what yeah. we do? Honest to God, I, I, my memory is is really flushed down the toilet. Do we do a year in review or do we do a year ahead? I think we do a year. We do in a year in review because we don't know what's coming up. No, I mean we have guesses, but they're as good as anybody's. So here's a. I'm, let me start. With a few things before we get to the year in review, I've bought. <laughs> I've I, in the last month I have bought three personal computers for use wow. in my home, and none of them are from Apple. Oh wow! Uh, and I I can't remember the last time. I guess if you count the Pixel, that would count as a personal computer. I bought a Pixel sure. three when it came out. So in the last quarter, I've bought four non-Apple personal computers. The Pixel, though, I, I buy one every other year. But in December, I bought three. I bought uh, Jonas, a gaming PC, okay. which we set up after Christmas. I think the last episode of this show, I was talking to Jason Snell. It was yeah. we it was in the house, and it was packaged up. But now I've got a Windows freaking machine running on my network. <laughs> the other two, actually both, well, one of them inspired by my talk show last week with Jason. I bought a Raspberry Pi finally. Yeah. Never had one before. Still haven't set it up for reasons I will get into. <laughs> um, but I had put that. Do you have a Raspberry Pi? Have you ever played with this? I have played with them. I don't own one currently, but I keep looking at the HomeKit support and just thinking it's, about it. Well, that's what I'm. That's a, Jason's mention of HomeBridge, which is an yeah. open source project that, uh, again, I haven't gotten into it yet. But basically, my understanding is HomeBridge is sort of a. I think it's a. I think it runs on Node.js, but you don't really need to to know it. But you set up HomeBridge. Uh, which I think seems fairly easy to set up if you're command line, if you're vaguely familiar with yeah. command line stuff. You run it nonstop on a machine on your network, and then you can set up plugins, which each one is configured with like a little text file, probably mm -hmm. in JSON format. I haven't even looked at it, but if it's not JSON, I'd be shocked because everything's JSON these days for good <laughs> reasons. But then you can use it if people figure out a plugin system for uh, a non home kit compatible. Like yeah. Internet of Things device, some people you know people can figure out like maybe it's like a plug that goes in the wall socket, but it doesn't have HomeKit device either yet or it never will. But they figured out a way to get it you know to do a plugin so that HomeBridge can talk to it. Then you get HomeBridge on your HomeKit network, and then you can talk to Siri and get this thing that doesn't even have home official HomeKit support to work yeah. on HomeKit. And that's good. Enough. It's not even important. I don't even have a thing, but at least there's, it's like the thing that put me off on buying a Raspberry Pi for years, even though it seems like so much fun and it's so low priced. I mean, for those of you who haven't heard of it, basically it is a simple little computer. You can literally see that it, you just, you could just run it as a motherboard. You don't even need a case yes. <laughs> for it. It's a simple little computer with a low power arm processor. And you, I, I think they go as low as like, 15 bucks, 25 bucks. And you know, like the quote unquote good ones are like, I bought a kit for like 80 bucks that comes with everything and it has Wi-Fi, yeah, and more. It runs a special version. Well, you can probably just probably dozens of versions of Linux, but there's, you know, special versions of Linux that you install on an SD card and then it boots from that. And you have a little computer, little low power computer that you could leave running all the time. It's not going to take up a lot of power. And if you're interested in computers in general and just seeing how they work, it's kind of fun to have a computer again where you can just look at it and see how everything is hooked up. 
and it's like works. the perfect hobbyist computer. It, it truly, truly is. And it's great. It is super great. I, I'm sure I know I, for education, right? Yep. Because as quote unquote real computers, I mean, like just take a look at the iPad pro, right? Maybe the most, you know, as we foreshadow the year in review, maybe the most amazing, uh, a hardware wise, personal computer, portable person, Per yeah. personal computer anybody's ever made. It is truly amazing, but it is truly a black box. Yes. <laughs> I it's mean, an it appliance. Is, it is both literally and figuratively a black box, <laughs> at least. Um, it is sealed up, and you don't get to look at the insides and study how they work, whereas the Raspberry Pi literally is an open box. It and you has can, no outside. Right. But what a great way to learn the basics of... Um, systems architecture than yeah. to actually have a real system that you can play with and tinker and, and do stuff like that. But I've just put it off for years. Cause I just like, well, what the hell am I going to do with it? And now that I have like a mission, like to get this home bridge thing set up, it it's like, now it's like, okay, now I, now I can do it. And then the third one I bought based on uh, my friend, Daniel Jalkit got one for Christmas and it was on a, a Slack. We share a Slack, uh, mentioned it. And as soon as he mentioned it, I'd never heard of the damn thing, but as soon as he mentioned it, I immediately had to go buy one is, uh, I didn't know this existed. I don't know how I didn't know it existed. A C64 mini. Oh yeah. I saw him tweet about that. Yep. So it's a Commodore 64 emulator, I guess. Yeah. Comes in a adorable little (laughs) (laughs) fake, like half size Commodore 64. (sighs) It was 50 bucks. So, okay, I'm not going to complain. But the keys don't actually work. The keys are just sort of virtual keys. But it's, yeah. it, it is a, looks like a door. I wish those keys worked. Uh, but I can't blame them for not because they're so tiny. Um, but it's an adorable little fake Commodore 64 with HDMI out and USB in. Ships, the, the box ships with a, uh, a joystick of the era. You know, but it's, it's USB, so a, a joystick of the era's style. Yeah. Um, but it's USB, so you can just plug it right in. Uh, you could buy extra an extra joystick if you want to play two-player games. HDMI out is perfect because then you can plug it into, you know, it, you know, like you wouldn't, in a way, it's these emulators, you know, Nintendo has come out with a bunch yeah. of these type things, you know, and it, it's better than the actual ver- retro hardware unless you're so serious that you're going to keep like an old CRT display set up. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and the, the game, the thing comes with 50 games, 50 classic Commodore 64 games preloaded in a, you know, the ROM or whatever the hell kind of storage is inside the thing. So you don't have to go hunting around the, you don't have to find your old tape drive or the, you know, the darker <laughs> areas of the internet yeah. where you can find disc images and set that up. And it's, it's a real lazy way to get this working. And I, I haven't hooked that up yet either just because it only arrived today, but, uh, I can't wait to. So anyway, I got so a PC. So will be gaming on his high-end gaming machine, and you'll be gaming on the Commodore 64. I thought, you'll both be I, happy. I, I, I gave serious thought to the fact, like, would it have been funny on Christmas morning if I if he had had that to open? <laughs> but he wouldn't know. He's too smart. He wouldn't have fallen yeah. for it. And I'm not that. I'm not like a prank prankster parent. Yeah. I, I can't remember the last time I've played a prank on on Jonas. Amy's more of the prankster parent. One time, uh, the first time we went to Disney World 10, 11 years ago, she woke him up and, uh, you know, he knew we were going to Disney World. We had a little, we set up a little calendar with like a countdown and he was very excited and she woke him up and uh, said, Jonas, we're going to Disney World and, and, you know, come on, get ready. And he bolted out of bed 
And then she said, tomorrow. Oh, <laughs> oh man. I, see, I could never bring myself to do that, but I, I can bring myself to laugh, laugh at yeah. it. <laughs> but anyway, I'm very excited about that. I think I'm more excited about the Commodore 64. Yeah, I'm just glad there was no mention of a pixel slate in there, John, or I would have, we would have had a stage and intervention. Yeah. Um, the PC is weird. Uh, I haven't used Windows. Honest to God, haven't used it at all. And I don't, I don't remember the last version of Windows that I, I used for more than a minute or two. Uh, it, mu- it must have been before Windows 7, though. Um, well, that's, I shouldn't say that. I've used Windows 7, yeah. like tinkering around, but only in the touch mode, you know, like trying yeah. some of the newer devices. Um, uh, but like using it on like a PC and like, regular GUI windows mode. I haven't used it in a while. Uh, I have a windows 10, but it's really just a bootloader for VR. I don't really do anything with it besides that. Yeah. Well, that's effectively what Jonas is using it for. Um, like you run it, it's a shell for steam. That's what, yeah, more or less. Um, I will say that setting it up, I was worried cause I didn't know how to set it up, but I'd done enough research and it seemed like, you know, it would be all right. Uh, it is funny. We got we got a we got a PC from a company called MSI. MSI Trident okay. X, and uh, I like I, I liked it because it's a small. It's sort of it's considered like an esports case. It's you know relatively small. Like you wouldn't call it a portable, but it's smaller and a lot lighter weight than a lot of these other ones, spec for spec. So that you one could in theory easily take it to a gaming tournament or something like that. Um. And you look on the back of it, and it's got, I mean, it has so many USB ports, and they all have weird cryptic labels that I don't understand. <laughs> like, some of them have this SS. I think the SS means that it's USB 3.1, uh, maybe, and maybe higher power. I don't know. Um, some of them are just for charging devices. <laughs> some of them are clearly USB 2. Um, and so, like, he doesn't have a lot of USB stuff to hook up, you know, it's like you want to connect the display to the US to USB so that the, you can then, you know, use the display as USB hub. Uh, and I think he has his keyboard plugged directly into the, the PC. Uh, but it's like you open it up and there's a nice getting started guide. And all it says is <laughs> connect the display keyboard, etc. <laughs> Two, plug the power in three, turn it on. That's the, yep. that's the entire yep. getting started guide. So I just I I just want to make sure it was set up right. And I'm like, which you know is should I be, which USB port should I be using for what? And I was like, well, I don't know. I'll take my best guess, and everything worked. Um, I got him a 4K display, and <laughs> it's nice. It is a very nice display. It it quality wise, but like Windows 10 defaults to effectively running it in like one X mode. So every, everything is truly minuscule. I mean, like yeah. it, it, and with my eyes, it, I really have to get about three inches away from the screen to read anything. And I, yeah, I'm sure I remember from the old days with windows that there's some way to change what the display is running yeah. at. But I just, th- I find it humorous that it defaults to, <laughs> to running with each pixel as a actual pixel pixel, the point. Perfect. <laughs> Very comical. But it, you know, 
it was actually pretty easy. I have to give them a fair amount of credit. It was certainly easier than setting up a PC was 10, 15 years ago. Uh, you know, dip switches uh, everywhere. Nope. No dip switches, everything. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, uh, modern connectors that all work pretty well, you know, USB for the input devices and then the display connected by, I think it's called display port 1.4, yeah. but you know, the cables that came with the display was exactly what we needed. You know, it was very obvious where, and it was very obvious where that went and the display and where it went into the graphics card on the PC. And then everything. One of my worked. favorite things about other vendors is they often just include the cable in the box. Yes, it was you know every <laughs> everything came in the box, and that was my. And I'd done enough research. I had done. I told Jason last week. I had done a tremendous amount of research, like uh, <laughs> like whatever the dollar figure is on my time. It added very significantly to the cost of this PC. I put a lot of a lot of hours into this. Um, and it seemed like everything came with it, but it was like just my nightmare as a dad because he didn't yeah. get to set it up Christmas Day. We went and visited family, and he was a very good sport about it. I can't – I don't think I would have been nearly as good a sport if I had gotten <laughs> an excellent gaming PC that I'd been asking for and wanted for over two years uh, and then to you know <laughs> have it in my hands yeah. and be told you can't open it until tomorrow. Um, uh but I didn't feel too bad because on the 26th, he still slept in. So, <laughs> you know, his his priorities are remarkably similar to Victory mine. Victory Royale has to wait. I got to yeah. sleep in first. Um, but, it, you know, it all worked. Windows setting, getting Windows set up was pretty good. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. But here's here's my other story. So one of the other things I bought also... I blame Jason Snell is I bought the, <laughs> uh, the vortex race three mechanical keyboard that Jason talked about on the show last yeah. week. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's very nice. I got the, uh, cherry blue switches, I think. No, not blue, brown, 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 which are, uh, similar to blue in actuation force, but don't click. Yeah. Um, and it's a fun little thing, but it, uh, it, it it needs a firmware update apparently to work huh. well on the Mac. So what you can do is there's there's <laughs> it's so PC world. It's you, uh, you out of the box you plug it into USB and if you and there's an FN key, but the FN key on this keyboard is not the Mac's FN key. This yeah. FN key is specific to the keyboard itself, and the Mac never sees it when it's pressed. Like there's a great little utility called Key Codes by Peter Maurer for the Mac that gives you all sorts of tech, you know, you can fire up key codes. And then when you press and release any key, including a modifier key, it tells you all sorts of stuff like developers might need to know about it, like the hexadecimal representation of that key, what it represents, you know, like it gives you like the plain English, like, Hey, it's the command key. Um, but it also gives you like the hexadecimal equivalents, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, when you use that utility, this FN key on the keyboard doesn't, doesn't even show up. It's only for the keyboard. But you hit FN on this keyboard and L, and it puts you in Linux mode, which, as far as I can tell, just means that the control key goes to caps lock, and caps lock is control. Um, <laughs> then you can do FNM, and it puts it in Mac mode. But its, it's Mac mode is not good, <laughs> uh, including the fact that it doesn't swap the key right next to the right side of the space bar. It doesn't make it a command key. Um, oh now you can program the key. <laughs> there's a programming mode and there's a PN button for that. Um, 
But long story short, it's it effectively what you want to do is you want to upgrade the firmware on this thing. And you can go to the Vortex website and download a firmware update for the keyboard. And then it changes it to work better on the Mac. And Jason's mm-hmm. has the upgraded firmware. So I was like chatting with Jason and he's telling me, but he's had it for a while and he'd sort of forgotten what he'd done to upgrade it. And some people apparently when they buy, get open the box, it already has the upgraded firmware. Oh. Um, but he's on his on his keyboard, which is exact same as mine hardware wise. You don't do FNM to go to the Mac. You do PN. There's a PN button, PNM to go to the Mac, and the command key already works. And I know you can go to the keyboard um, system preps thing on the Mac and remap, you know, like the Windows key to be yeah. what you want, and and Alt keys to be command keys. You can do that. But the reason I wanted it to work on the keyboard hardware is if I plug it into an iPad to have those keys work the right way. Cause on the yes. iPad, you cannot do that. You can't remap the keys. Um, <laughs> are you, are you with just me so keep, far? Yeah. It's just keyboards all the way down. All right. all right. So you go to the vortex website and I have a list of firmware updates including, and now here's the, here's the hitch. The hitch is the firmware is only, can only be installed from windows. It's an dot XE executable. So the funny thing is, is I probably would have bought this keyboard anyway, based on Jason's recommendation. Yeah. And it, it just scratched all the itches of a, maybe I should get a, a nice new mechanical keyboard. Uh, it just, I mentioned them on the show last week, but like the keycaps are in Helvetica, not Arial. Yeah. Uh, you, you, it comes with Mac command keys that you can replace and pop them on. So, it, you know, you're not looking at the stupid Windows key or having alt keys next to your spacebar, blah, blah, blah. Um, I probably would have bought it anyway, but then I don't know what I would have done to update the firmware because I didn't have a window. I don't have I don't have Windows in the house, and I don't really have easy access to it. And it's sort of it, it's it's people have done it, but doing it through uh, like virtual PC or uh, yeah. you know what are the other things like that uh, VMware or VMware uh, it's tricky because they don't really have direct access to the hardware USB ports yeah. but there's a way to do it and there's a big long reddit you know reddit is a fantastic resource for these mechanical keyboards the mechanical keyboard nuts on reddit are um, <laughs> well no it's i mean it sincerely they're excellent yeah. cuz they, they when they find how to do something they document it and they document it well like literally not missing a step and being very precise about every step so there's a way to do it. And I guess that's what I would have done, but I don't have, I don't have, I don't have anything set up like that. Cause I just, I have no need to run windows and it seems kind of ridiculous to, <laughs> to set up an entire virtual machine running windows just yeah. to update the firmware on my keyboard. But anyway, as luck would have it, I now have a yeah. brand new windows PC in the house. <laughs> so <laughs> I go up there and Jonas has had it. This was yesterday, I think. Uh, so he's had the, had the thing for uh, two days. Uh, playing a lot of games, mostly through Steam. And I say, hey, can I use your computer for a bit? Uh, uh, I, I want to set up this firmware. And he said, okay, sure. So I go to the Vortex website on the PC. And there's the XE. And it's got like a weird file name, you know, Vortex something, blah, 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 dot XE. And I download it. And it's only like three megabytes, so it doesn't take long. And then I get prompted... Uh, what do you want to do with this download? You want to run it or save it? Or I forget what the third option is. Um, I said, run. And I said to run it. And I got a weird error. It seemed like a windows error, not a browser error, a windows error that whatever I tried to run in the, 
like Jonas slash download slash whatever it was I tried to run didn't exist or something. And I thought that's weird. I thought maybe, maybe like it. So I thought maybe it's a safety issue for the browser. They don't want you running executables. You downloaded right from the browser. You got to, so I tried it again and hit save. And then I went to windows, the file explorer, I went to his downloads and it's a brand new computer. There's only like six files in there. One of them was uh, like the, the Fortnite thing. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, two or three others that clearly weren't it. And then there's one that was vortex something, something dot exe. I thought, well, there it is. Obviously there's only six files in here and I double click it and it launches this thing that doesn't look anything like a firmware installer. It's like, it's like a, it looks like an alternative to steam. It's like a sort of a steam like interface, except it's Brown and it's, it's got like all this stuff about game mods and uh, mods for just cause Four, which is a PC game. And, I hunted from the, it's a big window and I hunted from the top left to the bottom right and looking for something about either keyboards or firmware or something. And there's nothing in it. It's absolutely no way. And I've got the keyboard plugged in. I thought, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe it just does it automatically. I don't know. It's just the weirdest, you know, maybe it just installs the firmware and then they're trying to sell you on this uh, game mod stuff. <laughs> I don't know. And, it, but I take the keyboard and unplug it and, um, uh, not it's the same it's uh, clearly it doesn't seem like i got the firmware um and i tried it again this was through microsoft edge tried it again through chrome which is one of the things jonas had already installed same same thing it just launches this other thing that looks like this gaming thing and i i seriously i blew like an hour and a half on this <laughs> and i'm looking and i'm searching the web for anybody who had this problem and it seems like everybody who upgraded the firmware, all these Mac users who upgraded the firmware. And I guess even windows users want to upgrade the firmware. There's a couple of other features on the keyboard. Nobody seemed to have a problem with it. And then I finally found a post where they had screenshots of the, of the firmware installer. And it looked exactly like what you would think a windows firmware installer mm -hmm. would look like just a tiny little dialogue box that uh, tells you the version number that of the firmware you're installing the version of the firmware that's of on the keyboard that's plugged in right now, and then a button that says update. I don't I don't see a dialog box like that at all, and there's no mention of this other crazy big Steam-like interface. So I try it one more time, and I, as I mentioned, it's a 27-inch display. I've got to keep my face pretty close to it. This time I notice as I download it, a tiny little white box in the lower right corner, sort of like uh, like like a uh, a notification center thing on the Mac, but in the lower right corner instead of the uh, uh, upper right. It's it's on screen for about, I don't know, a second and a half. And it was something, something Norton. <laughs> oh God. So what was happening was I would download the Vortex thing, the, 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 the firmware updater. Norton took a look at it, which I didn't know. I guess Norton came pre-installed on the on his PC. We certainly didn't install it. Norton took a look at it and said, "This is a dangerous download. We're going to remove it and give you and, and but this tiny little dialogue in the lower right corner is only up for a second and a half, and it goes away. So I go into Norton, I take that that thing and say, "No, I I, I do want. I trust this. Restore it, and then it puts it back in the downloads, and it's an entirely different thing." I double click it. It shows me the dialogue that I wanted to see, which is the, uh, uh, you know, a very obvious firmware updater. It updates the firmware. Uh, 
and uh, tells me everything was okay with okay spelled with a lowercase k, of course. <laughs> uh, and then my keyboard's updated to the newest firmware. Although, of course, I had to run it twice. The first time it gave me a weird error. <laughs> so wow. what had happened, long story short, what had happened is there is an entirely separate thing called Vortex, which is a thing for gamers on the PC to install like game mods and stuff. And it just so happened that yeah. that was one of, one of three things Jonas had downloaded in the two days he's had it. Like, what are the odds? <laughs> like, so I blew two hours. Wow. Two hours. Because I just assumed that with five items in his downloads folder and one of them yeah. being called Vortex, that that was the thing I had just downloaded. And even though the file name wasn't exactly the same as the thing that I saw when I hovered over the mouse in the web browser, I just figured that the thing that I downloaded when I hovered was like a .exe zip executable yeah. that unzipped to show me this. I mean, it's called Vortex, and there's only five things in the downloads folder, and yeah. one of them was Fortnite. What the <laughs> fuck are the odds? <laughs> <laughs> that he had downloaded another thing from an entirely separate company. It had nothing to do with keyboards, entirely to do with things called Vortex. Anyway, oh, thank that God was, you saw that Norton box. You'd still be there. That was my day yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I didn't have a chance to set up the Raspberry Pi yet. Uh, computers are labor-saving devices. All right, here's my other problem I ran into. My other problem I ran into is Jonas had been – I had a 27-inch uh, – Thunderbolt display from Apple that I had used yeah. until, and then I replaced that, uh, or you know, I took it off my desk when I got the my Retina 5K iMac, which I don't even know. It might be four years old because I got the first one. When the okay. Retina 5K iMacs came out, I bought it. I still use it. It's running great. It's one of the best things I've ever bought. So the my, my Thunderbolt display went to Jonas at the time and became his desktop thing that he'd plug his MacBook Pro into when mm -hmm. he wanted to use a bigger display or play games, etc. Uh, now that he has a gaming PC with a new display, now that becomes a hand-me-down again. And so I thought vaguely, well, I could just use that as my spare display and like at least for setting up – like ultimately I plan to run the Raspberry Pi headless, but I could uh, – yeah plug this in and maybe i could use it to play the switch use it as a tv when people you know uh, i don't know I, I i just figured i'd buy a little adapter to let hdmi input work on the thunderbolt display and then i could hook up any you know like the switch or the raspberry pi or anything that takes hdmi out and use it uh and then i i didn't i did i just hadn't thought it through i didn't realize that thunderbolt really means thunderbolt and yeah. there's nothing that can drive the thunderbolt display other than thunderbolt and the only adapter that exists is because um, it's it's a you need to plug it into a Thunderbolt two port. You know the Thunderbolt yeah. display has has one plug and that's it. Well, there's power and then there's Thunderbolt, and then Apple has a a, a dongle that'll turn it into U Thunderbolt three, aka the thing that looks just like USB C. Yes. So we and we have that dongle because. You know, we have Macs and MacBooks in the house now that only have that that USB C, and that works perfectly. There is no way because Thunderbolt, like, like the monitor, if you think about it, it doesn't even have a power button. <laughs> like, yeah. Like so, and and the the thing that's frustrating is that Thunderbolt two looks like DisplayPort one. Yes, I believe <laughs> Thunderbolt carries DisplayPort. Yes, it carries DisplayPort, yeah. but it only works one way. So you could use your Thunderbolt Mac to drive a DisplayPort display, but the Thunderbolt display needs to go into a Thunderbolt jack. And there is, it's literally like technically impossible to have a dongle that would uh, 
I remember years ago there being a ridiculously expensive dongle, like 300 bucks or something, that split HDMI into DisplayPort and audio separately. And I just never justify buying it. Yeah, and I think that you could theoretically, like, set up an entire computer <laughs> to sit <laughs> To sit between them, like you could set up like a Mac Mini. That yeah, because HDMI carries DisplayPort as well, but who knows yeah. if what what the different standards are now. Right, but so there's another one. There, there was another hour or two of, of my time <laughs> gone by. If people are people are wondering, people are looking at Daring Fireball, thinking it's been relatively quiet this week, <laughs> and they think, well, I'll bet John is just having a, you know a nice uh, relaxing vacation. It's <laughs> that I've been chasing these rabbit holes. <laughs> but so now I've got a 27-inch Thunderbolt display that is in perfect working condition, and I have devices that I would like to hook up to a spare display, Yeah, and there is no way to connect them together. And I had this moment where it was, it was like, uh, you know, ultimately expressed in words, it was like, ah, fucking Apple. <laughs> right it's like it's a very apple-y situation and now i'm stuck with this display with a terrific technology thunderbolt yeah. um but because it it really only ever was a thing in the apple universe it is no good for hooking up to anything other yeah. than apple products i mean it's an intel technology right it was supposed to go everywhere but i right. think everyone else just looked at it and went no nope yeah <laughs> very similar very similar story historically to firewire which was never yeah. intended to be mac only either it wasn't really an apple technology i think that might have been intel too or no intel was always behind usb yeah, and sony called it ieee something like they'd put that weird name on yeah. the ports but they were really it was uh, intended to be totally cross-platform but usb yeah. just sort of killed it effectively yeah. but we mac users were you know using our, our iPods with FireWire ports. <laughs> but now I don't... And then here's the other thing of me, you know, it is a very unique to my Apple-centric lifestyle, is that I don't have a... I, don't, I literally don't have a display in my house that I can hook these things up to, a spare yeah. display. I've got TV. I've got a TV set. Um, you know, I, I guess I could hook it up to that, but I'm, I'm actually thinking about buying just some piece of crap, you know, $150 yeah. Dell display just so i have something like that and i think at my old house like we moved two years ago and i got rid of a lot of stuff that i didn't think i'd ever need again i'm pretty sure i had something that uh, some kind of display that i could have hooked this up to um but like i've you know i got talked into throwing a lot of stuff out <laughs> the old server closet display <laughs> like, do you have anything like do you have a like if you needed to hook up a raspberry pi to a display do you have like a spare display around I have like the LG 5K display that's only Thunderbolt 3, so I'd probably be just as crap out of luck as you. Yeah, I bet you'd be just. I bet the Raspberry Pi would cry if it yes. <laughs> had to drive a 5K display. Yeah, and maybe there's a USB, maybe there's an HDMI dongle, but I don't probably have one around here. Right, and for that at least. Yeah, and I think, uh, yeah, I think to drive 5K, I don't think a HDMI will do it. No. Um, <laughs> So I don't know what to do. I guess, you know, it just feels like such a waste to buy a, a, a – it just seems like something I should have sitting around, right? Yes. And I'll blow like – the hell should come with them? I'll blow 150 bucks on anything. Uh, yeah. But it just feels like a waste to blow it on a display that I don't want. <laughs> <laughs> How was your Christmas? Uh, it was good. I mean, I was I was dumb. I forgot to – uh, to cancel sponsorships for the week. So I had to just keep making videos. If I was smarter, I would have taken the week off, but no, nowhere near that smart. I, I, every single year 
I need to do more. I, I'm not really a journaler. I, I, I don't really have an interest in journaling, but I'm sort of a note to selfer. I write notes to my yeah. future self. And I really need to write one this year about how to do the holidays and it really get pound it through my thick head that you're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to do a damn thing yes. after uh, December 22nd or so. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. You just don't, don't plan on it. You know, maybe a podcast, you know, that, that, that seems like fun, but. And like real people with real jobs, they do this. They black out periods. They take weeks off. They manage to do all these things that I just feel helpless looking at. Well, I just always have these grand plans and I just think, oh, the whole world will be quiet. I will get so much yes. work done. I'm going to write so many great I, – I, I have a couple of long pieces in the back of my head that have been gestating. I, they're all going to – I'm going to have all this time to get them out and it's like, no, it doesn't work that way at all. Yeah, no. It's Everything it's, gets in your way. Uh, let me take a break. Thank our first sponsor and then we'll get into this uh, year in review. Uh, it's Casper. Look, Casper products are designed by humans for humans. They make mattresses. They make all sorts of other sleep products, too. They're focused on sleep, truly. Um, their original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory phones for a quality sleep surface with just the right amount of both sink and bounce. It has a breathable design, helps you sleep cool, and regulate your body temperature throughout the night. Um, they have over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars across the Casper website itself, Amazon, and Google. It's the Internet's favorite mattress. Uh, they offer two other mattresses, too, the Wave and the Essential. The Wave is their high-end product. It features their patent-pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body. And the Essential is their streamlined design with a price that won't keep you up at night. Um, and they really do. They have a wide array of other products like pillows and sheets, and they're really great. We've, we've gotten some of this stuff, and it's all really, really great quality. And it's all designed, developed, and assembled right here in the U.S. Now, Internet mattresses, I'm telling you, it's a crazy thing, and it's, the, it's really the, one of the best of the whole shift from going to actual brick-and-mortar to buying this stuff on the Internet. Because going to a mattress store is a pain in the ass. And you're not actually sleeping on the mattress, even if you sit on it and, you know, what are you going to do? Lay down on a mattress in a store? Gross. Uh, you're not going to sleep anyway. So just laying on it for a minute, what the hell is that going to teach you if it's a good thing to sleep on? Get it on the internet. It shows up from Casper in a remarkably small box for a big mattress. That's uh, the magic of these uh, foam technology things. You take the box up to the room where you want it, unpack it. Sucks all of the oxygen out of the room and then, you know, opens up. There it is. You've got this mattress. Here's the thing. The delivery, you don't have to worry about it. The setup is easy. And then you've got a hundred night risk-free sleep on it trial. A hundred nights where you can just sleep on it and you get to the end of that three months. And if you don't like it, you just uh, go on the website, say, take it back. They come, pick it up, give you all your money back. No questions asked. You can't lose. Uh, it's really great. We've got, uh, multiple Casper mattresses here in, uh, talk show world headquarters and everybody loves them. They're great. Uh, they last long. The one that we got from if longtime listeners of the show will know that Casper has been sponsoring the show for quite a long time. And the first one we got, um, which I think is now in Jonas's, uh, uh, has been with us for years. Seems in every single regard, brand new, uh, 
really great, long-lasting stuff, high-quality product. Here's their special offer for listeners of the show. You can save 50 bucks towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash talk show. Casper.com slash talk show. And use the same code as the URL slug, talk show, no the, at checkout. And you can save 50 bucks towards select mattresses. Uh, Casper.com slash talk show, special code, talk show. Terms and conditions do apply. Uh, I tell you, I found this whole thing. To, uh, I, I got worried with the keyboard thing that it was, I, I like, I knew I was in un, uh, unfamiliar territory. I knew this is why I like Apple products. Right. But I got to tell you, I got worried that I was, that this was a sign that I was getting old. Right. It seems to me like, seems to me as a computer enthusiast in general, one ought to be able to figure out how to update the firmware yes. on a device. <laughs> I, I still, I mean, what are the odds he downloaded three things and one of them was named. Yep. Uh, I, I, and stupid Norton was hiding the other one. If he had, if it hadn't <laughs> hid the other one, I would have seen the two yep. and thought, well, which is which? And I would have, you know, even if I guessed wrong first, when I opened the second one, it would have been pretty obvious. Uh, and whoever sold the computer probably deleted the perfectly good Microsoft built-in stuff just to put Norton nonsense on there anyway. Yeah, I don't know what to do about that. That's that's the other thing. I I, I still find Windows. I find it, it to be, if anything, in some ways better. Like the first run experience was better than ever. But ultimately, just sort of poking around the start menu, it is so uh, – what's the word? Baroque? It yeah. is <laughs> – Yes. It, it, it just seems like a labyrinth of levels of what the hell is going on where and why and where does it all go uh yeah. it just seems like to make to to create the facade of this being simpler they've just continued to build scaffolding on the old stuff that's always been there it feels like digging in ancient greece or ancient rome and knowing there's just like infinite amounts of other cities that have been buried underneath you yeah i do vaguely worry that apple is going a little bit in that regard too um you know, like I get it, like what, like with Safari extensions. Like yeah. I get it that you don't really want to be. They don't want people dealing with the Finder to do it and download a thing and then go to home library Safari extensions and put it there. You know, but I worry that it's you know that there's too much magic behind the scenes with with where stuff actually is in the file system now. And oh, it's you, like that post-apocalyptic future where one guy dies and now no one knows how to maintain anything anymore, like right. web objects. Right. And it's, <laughs> you know, it is similar similar with the, the past, the actual, honest to God, what is on the file system path to stuff yeah. in iCloud, you know, where it's all in these uh, weird long directories. Yeah, abstracted containers. Right. Uh, like I get the I, I get the desire for the user experience of abstracting that, but... I, I don't know. There was, it, it's, it kind of irks me <laughs> that the whole thing isn't as clean as it used to be, right? Like when Mac That's the whole apple.com thing, right? Like these, the URLs are all perfectly human readable and right. other sites have all these crazy URLs that no human could possibly parse. Right. And you just want iCloud stuff, super, give it to me, but let me go right. to slash user slash iCloud and see all my files. Right, exactly. Right. That is really what I, 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 I there must have been a debate inside, but I really do feel like it should have been just been, uh, you know, 
slash twiddle slash gruber slash icloud yep. slash and there's all the stuff and maybe yeah. even you know and and the one thing that they've done in recent years that i you know maybe is what they should have done with that is like the way that they made the library folder invisible by default sure and so okay you you jane or joe typical user buy a new mac and you open up your home folder you don't see the library folder and you shouldn't need to but if you're vaguely interested in um you know tinkering with stuff in there manually uh you could google and quickly find out that you know starting in version whatever the library folder is invisible you can make it visible with this yeah. simple these simple steps it will stay visible afterwards and there there you go now you now you have easy visible access to your library folder i think they could do the same thing with icloud everything on the mac should be like that because that's the whole virtue of having a mac right uh and then it's this nice clean simple you know uh directory names and structure. I mean, it's, it's, I always say, like, I like to say, I like to use the term, uh, you know, like when Apple bought next in at the end of 1996, uh, I mean, literally, I, I guess that anniversary just passed. It was right around Christmas. Uh, cause yeah. if, effectively, cause of that, you know, like we said, like this week is sort of a dead week. It really didn't take effect till January, 1997. Um, and the joke, half joke, has been that it was a you know a reverse that it was yep. next that acquired Apple, um, because certainly ultimately with Steve Jobs and Devanian and Scott Forstall and a whole bunch of other people, you know, the senior leadership of the company largely came from the next side, you know, and, and mm -hmm. wiped out most of the Apple side, um, especially technology wise. But I I like to call it a reunification. Like to me, I do. I, and I mean this sincerely. I, I really do think that when you look at it historically, that when Jobs was exiled from Apple and founded Next, he founded a company with very Apple-like uh, yes. uh, sensibilities. I mean, well, you, you, and, you know, maybe it's just Jobs, you know, that Apple was founded with Jobs-like sensibilities and Next was founded. But it, it attracted people. It's not just Steve Jobs, but it's, you mm -hmm. know, it's that it attracted people who want the the file the folder names at the root level of the hard disk to be sensible yeah <laughs> right yeah <laughs> you know to have artists not just technologists right and uh to have like a graceful level and 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 like the next idea of having system slash library slash all this stuff for the everything that affects all users uh uh, and you shouldn't be messed with because it's the system level. Then a root level library folder that also affects all users. So you could install fonts in there and then two users on the same computer would have access to the same fonts because they were in slash library slash fonts. And then home slash library for stuff that's just for that user. What a graceful, beautiful system. So easily mm -hmm. understood. Makes perfect sense. Even the words they choose, like system, for the ones that you really shouldn't be messing with. Uh, it, it couldn't think of a better word for it. You know, what a great Apple like sensibility it made. It was, it all felt very Apple like when it became Mac OS 10. It with the extension of their dependence on file name extensions, which I yeah, yeah. Won't, won't, won't get into here. I'll wait for John Syracuse to return Syracuse to the show. Come back. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, windows doesn't have that. Yeah. <laughs> No. All right. You're in review. Where do you want to start? Yes. I mean, we started last year coming off the performance um, 
the performance issues like that 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 sort of dominated the holidays where people were talking about the iPhones being slowed down or mm, um, that was last year boy that seems like a long time ago that was holiday that's why none of us had a holiday last year right 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 I, for some reason i had that as 2 years ago but now that you yeah. mention it yeah that was last year so that yeah, that was the big gate was that apple and then, you know what the worst part is is it's kind of stuck with them right it's just one of those things that once it's out there you know, this idea that Apple purpose, purposefully slows your iPhone down so that you'll buy a new iPhone. Uh, yes. When in fact, what they were doing was slowing your iPhone down so that it would continue to function at all. Yeah, or, it wouldn't spike and it wouldn't turn off the battery. It wouldn't right. overcharge the battery and turn off the, the phone. Right. Uh, you know, and I think I recall you and I were of similar mind that the, the, that the mistake they made wasn't the throttling. The mistake they made was the lack of transparency. Yeah. And that they didn't say, they didn't present an alert, you know, and, and I've been on this for years that a big problem with modern Apple is the silent failures, you know, and, yes. you know, say what you want about the old classic era, you know, when something would go wrong and you'd get an error, hopefully you'd get something with a nice human description of what went wrong. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times you'd get error negative 69. Uh, and at least you had something that you could search for, right? You, you, yes. you'd, you'd at least know, and at least you'd recognize that the computer knows that something went wrong, right? You'd feel validated or vindicated or something. Right. Like, you know, just imagine printing, you know, and you have a document and you've printed, you've used this printer before and you hit command P and then you hit return and, and you see something and then the dialogue disappears and nothing ever comes out of your printer. Yeah. Right. And enough that your computer doesn't say anything and the printer doesn't say anything like that is really that's it just it's harder to fix <laughs> and it is unsatisfying. Like yeah. it's frustrating if you get an error that says, you know, I don't know, something's wrong with the printer driver or something, you know, but it, or whatever. It's frustrating, but at least you have something that you know where to start. Yeah. Silent failure is very, very frustrating. Um, and silent throttling of your uh, performance is similarly frustrating, right? Like you can tell your iPhone is slower, uh, but you don't know why it's, it's frustrating. And I think the worst part is that people's guess as to why is wrong was wrong. I yes. don't think people, people guessed exactly at the reason. I think people guessed that it was sort of like, and especially people who aren't most iPhone users aren't longtime Mac users. I think, you know, most people, their experience with computers is with windows and windows rots over time. You know, you use a windows computer for a couple of years. I don't know if it's still true, but at least, you know, for a long time, a bit it, rot, yeah. right. It, it, it's, it gets slower because also accumulation of All cruft. cruft. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's just what happens, you know, whereas the well, actual answer is the opposite. Like this, people were just immediately assuming that Apple was slowing down your phone to try to trick you into buying right. a new phone where Apple was slowing down your phone to try to make that phone last as long as possible. So you wouldn't right. have to go buy a new phone. Right. And the solution that if you could take it, if you took it in and got a replacement battery, uh, would cost a lot less than a new phone and would restore yeah. the phone to its, uh, peak performance because, yeah. That was the whole thing. The whole problem was that the battery would, would you know, over time, it's it, it's the nature of all batteries, uh, or at least all lithium-ion batteries, um, you know, that once they deteriorate, they deteriorate inevitably, and when they deteriorate to a certain level, they can no longer sustain 
the performance that's necessary for the peak performance of the yeah. hypothetical peak performance of the system. Yep, absolutely. Well, my thing is that if you if if something change like Apple likes to just manage everything. They don't they believe they should be doing all this. You shouldn't have to worry about it. But when a state changes, people are going to notice it. And if they have no information, they're going to think the worst. And I always thought that Apple should just let the phone fail once if it was going to, let it fail once and when it comes back up, say your phone has been your phone is now under performance managing. If you don't like for more information or to turn it off, yeah. go to settings, then you'd yeah. have exactly what they ended up shipping later sure. in the year. Yeah. Well, and your battery is at uh, 78%. Yeah or whatever, you know, and therefore it's in performance throttling and, you know, yeah, exactly. Um, Cause throttling yeah. became like a dirty word and, but throttling has right. always been necessary with chips because they're in a constrained space. They're hot and they've always had to carefully manage them to make sure they didn't overheat to make sure all sorts of other things didn't happen to them. Throttling is what you do with chips, <laughs> right. but it the became old, this super dirty word. Right. Totally. Because, and you know, in the old days, you know, uh, 15, 20 more years ago, you'd turn on, you power up a computer and the CPU would run at it, whatever its clock speed is. And that's, yeah. that was it, <laughs> you know? So yeah. if it was a 266 megahertz computer, it ran at 266 megahertz and that was it. Uh, but then we started getting like, liquid cooled computers. Right. It doesn't work like that anymore. And it yeah. couldn't work like that anymore unless we had ridiculously slow, you know, computers yeah. like, um, ginormous, well-ventilated right. computers. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, I guess. How's that played out over the last year? I don't know. I, I, uh, it seems like it's, you know, it seems like it's a non-issue other than the fact that there's still this vague misconception that people need, you know, people, that Apple does this on purpose. Yeah. I mean, I was listening to some big mainstream podcasts and they were talking about that in exactly those terms, which was heartrending. But I think the only thing we've seen lately was um, a couple of people couldn't get it. They waited till like the literally the last minute till like New Year's Day almost. And they couldn't get an appointment at an Apple store and were super angry mm. that they're going to have to pay 20 bucks more <laughs> next week because they didn't make an appointment. Early oh, enough. right. Because of the... Um the the program that Apple started yeah. to get you know to replace these batteries at a substantially lower price right yeah right there was a long wait when they first announced it and then uh, and I guess there was a backlog at the end of it I took mine in I made an appointment I took them in they swapped them out took about an hour and then I left and they were great yeah I probably should have I don't know why I didn't because I, I keep all my old iPhones but I yeah. don't really use them but why not <laughs> I well. So well, what's fun. funny is that I checked because I, I always buy the both the plus and the non plus version for the last few years anyway, but I've only ever used the plus one. So those were at like 80%, 79%. The normal ones were at 100% battery health because they just never used them for long enough <laughs> to damage it. Um, I guess the other, you know, year in review aspect of this is the promise um, back in June that I, a big focus of iOS 12 was performance. Yeah. including performance on uh, going back to all of the systems that iOS 12 supports. You know, I think that was Federighi's bit on yes. stage. Um, and I think it, I think there was, you know, <laughs> a fair amount of skepticism on that front because uh, side B of the coin that Apple slows down iPhones to get you to buy them is the specific theory that they, the way they do it is by, programming these slowdowns into the new versions of ios right it's it's hilarious because every year apple doesn't give you every feature and they're withholding features to get you to upgrade so you demand those features and then you feel like your iphone is slow so they're they're adding extra features to slow down your iphone to get you to upgrade right and both so those things are always true so the credibility bridge that federighi and apple needed to to 
to the federal the, the the gap they needed to bridge with that is not only were they saying we're going to make it faster on older devices uh than iOS 11 that people already suspected that they were going to try to make it slower, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, no, we're and not. also they've been saying that for years and people right. didn't really believe them anymore. Like the right. iOS 9 was supposed to make it faster. iOS 10 yeah. was supposed to make it faster. But damned if they didn't do it, yeah. right? Oh, I, I haven't seen, great, yeah. I really haven't seen anybody even dispute it. I know Ars Technica had a story, you know, where they, when iOS 12 first came out and they installed it on a bunch of older devices that still supports. And, you know, their conclusion was, yeah, this is, this is better, you know? Even in beta, it was significant when iPhone 5S and iPhone 6, you could, it was apparent that it was, that it was running better. Yes, I remember. And I specifically remember that because, and the reason a lot of it popped up right away at WWDC is a lot of people install it on older devices. That's what they bring with them to WWDC to put the first, you know, Daredevil beta on. Um, No, I I would have to say that's a real uh, highlight for Apple of, of this year. Yeah, and they maintained it through the release because some people were kind of skeptical. Yeah, the beta is good, but is the release going to be good? And no, it was great through the release. Um, and I'm I'm reminded of, and I don't know if it's still the case. I wonder because I haven't seen anybody talk about it lately. But I'm reminded of the WebKit policy. I don't know if Don Melton instituted it yeah. or what, but from the very earliest days before WebKit, yeah, I think before you know, while it was a secret project within Apple. Before it even shipped, they had a policy that you couldn't check any and you couldn't check anything into WebKit that that slowed down. You know, they had like zero some regression, zero regressions performance yeah. wise. So every every time you you made a change to WebKit, you would have to run. You know, there's a, some kind of benchmark they had for you know showing the performance of it, and you were not allowed to check anything in that slowed anything down. Yeah. With the idea, and I think largely informed by Melton's experience. <laughs> At Mozilla, that you engineers would say, well, you know, we've got now we support uh, blank, you know, whatever new web features. Um, And and you'd say, well, this, whoa, this really slowed everything down now. And they're like, well, we'll fix that later. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, it turned out it it didn't happen that way. So there's no regression policy. And, you know, can you prove that you need that policy to keep a web rendering engine fast? You you know, of course not. Of course, in theory, you could check something in that is slow and fix it later. You could. There's there's yeah. absolutely no computer science principle that would say that can't be done. It's more of a human nature problem, not a yeah. scientific problem, right? But I'm reminded of that with, you know with iOS and I'd, I'd sort of like to see Apple, hopefully there it wasn't like a one-off with iOS 12, you know? And I think that that the lack of something like that is sort of how they got into that situation in the first place. Where yeah, things it's in- interesting though, because they, they t- in order to get this, they took a lot of like A-list engineers, people who work on the core functionality for UIKit and Springboard. And instead of them making new features, which is what they do any other year, they had them work on making everything from auto, auto layout to collections to all of those things much more performant. But now this year, they're going to have to go back to working on well, on new features again. So I'm hoping Apple has a system where they're going to bring other guys in underneath them to sort of take care of all this stuff going forward. Well, I, hopefully the answer, I, you know, the answer to me would be something similar to a WebKit type policy where if you're working on a new feature and you, it should be, and, and, you know, a new feature for iOS 13, 
and there's a list of here's the devices we're planning for this OS to support. It should be tested on the lowest of those devices yeah. from the get go, and it should be acceptable, usable, acceptably usable on the lowest device before you it's accepted as okay. This is going to be part of iOS 13. Yeah, and that's sort Not, of my concern here because they they they've had a performance team for years, and performance team is one of those few teams like security which can take your code away and say no, we're not you're not going to get away with this. This has got to work better. And they've also had engineers who carry older devices because their families use older devices, and they don't want. Which is also why that whole thing was bullshit about Apple slowing down devices. Their moms and their sisters right. and their brothers and their kids use those devices, and they don't want to give them a bad experience. But then you'd get down to crunch time, and you'd have right. to ship, and it's that one time a year, and just anything that was. Isn't a, a keynote headline temple feature sort of fell by the wayside, but this year performance was the number one headline yeah. feature, so it couldn't. And I just I want to make sure that happens every year. Yeah, well, and I, I really do think the way to do it is to make it you know make sure it's running well yep. on the lowest common lowest device from the get go, and don't assume that you're going to be able to fix it in July. <laughs> yes, uh, we shall see. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I think iOS 12 was a, a big, big yeah. hit of the year. I think I think it's been a very good release. Uh, what else do you want to do? So I have this organized. I have this note organized by product line. I don't know if we should go chronological yeah. or by product line. I say product uh, line. Yeah, what do you perfect. Think? Yeah, uh, I have Mac first. So they look great. Thank God you adjusted this with all the lakes because <laughs> <laughs> I. <laughs> I can't keep them straight. There's so many. And I feel like every time I go to sleep, I wake up and there's another one. You know what? I, can I tell you something? So, for example, yeah. here's, here's what we have in the show notes from the Mac, Mac hardware this year. Uh, so we have no, uh, no, no iMacs. And nope. uh, the Mac Pro hasn't shipped yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> although we were told this year that the Mac Pro would be a 2019 thing. Yeah. Uh, thanks to Matthew Panzerino's uh, uh, report earlier in the year. Um, so it's all portables and the Mac Mini. We had the MacBook Pro Coffee Lake in July. New new updates to all the MacBook Pros except for the MacBook Pro Escape, the one without yes. the touch bar. Um, the MacBook Air came out in October with Amber Lake, Mac Mini Coffee Lake in October, and then MacBook Pro uh, with the Vega Pro in November. That's that's a graphic card update. Yes. Um. I, I believe I don't think that the coffee like I don't think the CPUs got, even got speed bumped right. It was just new graphic card options. I yeah, think. the CPU stayed the same. It was just the two higher end Vega Pro, the mobile Vega uh, graphics cards. Yeah. Uh, I will say this: I thought it was interesting while I was shopping for Jonas's gaming PC, I'd, and and I read a bunch of really good, you know, thoroughly written reviews with benchmarks from actual games. I, I was fascinated. I mean, I kind of knew that the GPU was by far the most important thing for mm -hmm. performance on games, but I was kind of shocked at 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 some of the benchmarks, how almost identical they were between like a Core i7 and a significantly more expensive Core i9. But if they had the same graphics card, the performance of the game was identical or, or so close to identical that it, it, you, you, human eye wouldn't notice. You'd really need to, to fire up the, the actual frame rate thing, you know, and, and look at the actual numbers. I thought that was fascinating. Just how, how, Almost not inessential. I know CPU isn't completely inessential, yeah. but that it's it's so They're secondary. GPU bound so much more than CPU bound these days. Yeah, but that you know that Apple and, and you know Apple shipping a graphic graphics only update to the MacBook Pro shows that it's true in the non gaming world too. You know that it's. Yeah. It, I think we all know that Apple doesn't lightheartedly do speed bumps anymore. <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) But here's the frustrating, here's the frustrating thing. Like what's, what is better coffee lake or Amber Lake? I guess coffee lake, right? Well, so this is the the super frustrating thing. So previously there wasn't any of this BS. It was like Broadwell and Haswell and there was supposed to be Sky Lake and Cannon Lake, but they just couldn't get their 10 nanometer process done. So then they went from Sky Lake to KB Lake, which was yet another architecture tweak an optimization, they call it now. And then from KB Lake to Coffee Lake. But instead of previously, they had these M series, M3, M5, M7, and they decided to rename the M5 and the M7 to I5 and I7, which sounded like the, the bigger processors and it was all super confusing. And now they give them their own name. So all that Amber Lake is, uh, last year, those were just the KB Lakes that were in the 12-inch MacBook. They didn't have any different name. But now they're classifying those sort of super low power chips as a different lake altogether. And then you have like Ice Lake and Whiskey Lake because they want to call something else. Like the server ones have to have a different name now. But how how are you supposed to know which ones are better than the other? See, one of the things that I liked about NVIDIA's line of graphics card as I shopped for them is that if the number is higher, it's better. It's that simple. So, so like Amber the, Lake and Coffee Lake are both eighth generation. It's yeah, just but, Amber Lake is meant for the more portable, lower power computers, and Coffee Lake is meant for the the usual computers. Yeah, but you can get an eighth generation CPU that's better than some of the ninth generation ones. Like just being well, the ninth, ninth generation are a refresh. I think those are what those are because uh, there's, there's KB Lake refresh as well, and then there's Coffee Lake refresh. I mean, there's, there's it really no, is a mess. There's no way to look at the names and decide which one's better than the other. There's no way to look at the generation numbers. I mean, it's you know, in theory, new generations are better overall, but it, d- it doesn't necessarily mean that this one from the ninth generation is better than that one from the eighth generation. It's it's really really for hard. a human no like if you go to a Nantech or a Dora TV or some of like the YouTuber or blog channels that are only that only focus on chips they know all the part numbers oh no no and they know, they exactly know it, but they you slot. have but there's no way to figure it out from the names yes. right you yeah. you 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 can't you know whereas with the Nvidia graphics cards on the PC you really can you can just figure out okay if they're if, human readable you know, yeah 1070 is cheaper and not as powerful as a 1080 and the 2080 is better than the 1080 and the 2080 ti and if you know ti's titanium you know well and you look at the price well obviously it's better (laughs) you can seriously you know just just looking at at the names you can figure out which one's better than 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 other ones you know yeah just put numbers on the goddamn things and make the numbers go higher so like what is yeah I mean, they it's do. It's still, it's still like now it's M3, i5, i7, i9, and then you have Amber Lake on the lower end, Coffee Lake yeah. on the on, on the normal end. Yeah. Well, anyway, Mac, the Mac portable lineup has been completely refreshed this year, with the exception of the non-touch bar MacBook yeah. Pro, 13-inch MacBook Pro. And the 12-inch uh, only got a color, like the gold got oh, changed. Oh, right. That's the right. The shade of gold was right. changed. Right, and the 12-inch, right. And that they is... They didn't get Amber Lake. They got, they, they're still on KV Lake. I feel I still feel good about the future of the 12 inch MacBook because uh, I feel like they're not it, they're not going to switch the smallest ever you know cutest ever MacBook to be yeah. the 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 new MacBook Air size like I think that that size you know and the fact that it's still there and people are still buying it is there's demand for it I just think that Intel screwed them honestly 
Yeah, I mean, there's two problems. One is the Intel problem. The other one is that they marketed themselves into a corner because the MacBook Air was never a low-priced Mac. It was, right. I think, was it $17.99 when the first one came right. out, $12.99 when the second one came out. Now it's $11.99, but because for a while it dropped down to $9.99, right. people expect it to be the low-price um, MacBook. So not just the lightest, but also the lowest price. Right. Uh, in a normal world, this would be the MacBook. And then if you wanted to pay extra for right. the ultralight, you'd get the MacBook, the 12-inch. And if you wanted to pay extra for the Pro, version you'd get that and this would be the baseline but because of that weird marketing inversion now everyone right. is just confused about why they're named those things yeah the the macbook air no longer means thin and light the air now means that's the one i want yes <laughs> yeah it really does <laughs> because it's a little it's good enough and it's cheaper and you know and i, I like the wedge shape there you go it's the everyday computer everyday mac for everyone most of right it's really what what the air has come to mean you know and you know it is what it is, but I think that it's it's not worth overthinking that. Yeah. Uh, the state of the MacBook lineup overall, I think there's. It, it, I think it's a decent year for the MacBook, but I still feel yeah. like like the keyboard situation is a significant thing, and I do think that you know what are we six months after the third generation keyboards yep. with the membrane started shipping. I think that's enough time that it certainly suggests that the membrane solves the pieces of dust under the keys can get them stuck problem because it yes. does not seem that does not seem to be the problem that it was before. It was a significant problem before, significant enough that Apple launched the repair program which, you know, is is a explicit acknowledgement that yeah, this is this is Apple this is a real problem and we'll, you know, we'll we'll do our best to make it right for the people affected by it. And the third generation keyboards don't seem to have it. Yeah, it was the 2016 one seemed to be the worst. It trended down in 2017, then it trended way or down, way down in 2018. Here's my fundamental problem, though, with Apple's lineup as it stands today. I don't. I think I and I do realize that there are some fans of these keyboards. I do realize that, yes. but I feel like the number of people who think this is not my favorite keyboard, a ever and b uh, on the market today across yes. laptops. Uh, is far outweighs the number of people who consider the third generation MacBook keyboard the, their favorite or and or the best on the market today. And to me, I think Apple the the ever since the first PowerBooks has been up there as arguably this is the best slash favorite keyboard in the laptop market today. And it's of course yes. not ever in your keyboards are, we do a whole show on keyboards. Of course it's super subjective. And of course, there are people who love the ThinkPad keyboard, keyboards and that there are differences. You're never going to have one keyboard that everybody agrees, this is the best, this is my favorite. But I feel there are way too few people, way too many people who don't think this is an improvement over the previous keyboards before the butterfly switch. And I think that's I mean, a that's problem. The biggest pro no, that is the biggest problem. Like, I, I, I've gone on record saying I love these keyboards. I vastly prefer them to the previous generation keyboards. But there are people who really hate them. And that that shouldn't happen. Like no, neither of us had a problem with the previous generation one. I right. was fine with it. The people who hate this one were fine with it. Right. And when you have a single vendor making a product, you cannot have that product be divisive. Yeah. And when you buy a premium product, there are certain things that uh, you know have to be nice. When you buy a premium car, the steering wheel has to feel nice and the, it has to feel good when you push the pedals. The the interface, the actual parts that your body yeah. touches matter they have to be satisfying 
they matter more than other things, you know, like, uh, you know, like the, the window, what's the, the, um, the sunscreen above your eyes in a car. All right. If that flips down and doesn't have the best feel, you'd be annoyed if you spent a lot of money on like a BMW or something and it didn't have a great feel, but how often do you flip that thing down? Yeah. But like the steering wheel has to feel great. The shift. Yeah. It has to, it has to be perfect. Right. The keyboard on a, on a MacBook has to be great. And I honestly, even though I feel like this third generation thing is better solution, it's the best uh, version of this design ever. It's not great, and I feel no. like it's a fundamental failing on Apple's part. I, and I really, really it's hope. It's so weird though, because I, like the Touch Bar, there are people deep inside Apple who were absolutely convinced that they nailed it with this. Right. I I, I can't help but think that they wouldn't have shipped it otherwise. You know. The, yeah. And I know. But that they remember we went to the event and they were so happy. Like, right. they, like they like what you can't wait till you see it. Like they had these yeah. big grins on their face. Like they were really going to surprise us with something spectacular. Yeah. I, I you know I will say I'm still my personal. MacBook is still a 2014 13-inch MacBook Pro. And ultimately, the number one reason is the keyboard, honestly. I, and I really, really, I used the new one uh, as a review unit for, you know, like six weeks and did everything on it. You know, did, did, didn't use my iMac or anything, just used it. And I got used to it. I mean, I could definitely live with it. And, you know, in the hypothetical future where they stick with something basically like this, I will switch eventually, you know, and, it, yeah, you know, but it's... It's not as good, and it's uh, I don't know. I, I, and again, I f- like I said, I like this better, and I still want them to change it because it's not just about me; it's about everyone who uses a MacBook. Right. And I realize I'm uh, at the at the far end of the spectrum on how much I care about the feel of keyboards. Um, but it's you know, it really is a fundamental aspect of why people buy a, a notebook computer in the first place. Right? Seriously, it's, it's your connection to the machine. That, that's the right. that, that is the one thing that is connecting you to what you are doing. Yeah, it really it it is. You know, and you know, it's like uh, having a bad game controller. Just you can't do it. Right, and so we don't. You know, there are no touch screens on the Mac, uh, yeah. and so the touch actually is. It's entirely through the uh, keyboard and the trackpad. And conversely, the trackpad. To me, the new trackpads are the best they've ever made. Yes. And Apple famously yeah. is it, it, to me. Uh, is well known for making the best trackpads in in the industry, and I think that's still true. I think the Force Touch trackpad is a, a, a just perfect. I, I think it's yep. tremendous. I love the fact that I, I think that the the uh, the fake or haptic feedback, you know, yeah. the fake clips, the appropriate that, set of lie. <laughs> yeah, using haptic feedback instead of an actual as uh, oh, what was her name on stage. Uh, she introduced the new MacBook Air and called it a seesaw. Oh, oh, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, I want to say Laura, but I don't think that was it. Yeah, but you know, the old seesaw we're using an actual lever to yeah. make an actual click meant that at the top of the trackpad it was much less clicky and harder to click than at the bottom of the trackpad. Whereas the new one is equally clicky everywhere, and the clicks feel great. It is, it, it's actually hard to believe it's not a real click. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and when you turn it off and it goes dead, you just like you think it is wrong. Yeah, it is it instantly triggers a part of your brain that says this is broken. This your, your reptile brain just thinks it's broken. Right. because uh, if you've ever had like a laptop with where the trackpad's broken, that's what it feels like. And it's like, yeah. uh oh. And this is you know, that's not an easy repair. 
Yeah. And we used to like, at least I used to think that Windows laptop, like Windows trackpads were horrible. And I, it, it bothers me deeply that people think the MacBook keyboard is horrible in the same way. Yeah. So they do a great job on trackpads, but I feel like they've got to, they've got to re, recommit themselves to making the world's best laptop keyboard. I think that if they had an opportunity, like when they go to the new design, because there's got to be a new design coming with Face ID and with like very, you know, very small bezels. And I think they have an opportunity there to redefine the keyboard again and just find something that works better for everybody. I wonder, I do wonder how much, and again, I'm not familiar. I guess I could go to iFixit and sort of familiarize myself with it. But I do wonder how much smaller the internals of a future, a whatever, you know, ARM-based Apple chip MacBook lineup could be than what they have now, right? Because obviously the reason they want to make, they wanted to make, I mean, obviously, how did they get into the situation with the keyboard? It's obvious it's about thinness, right? They wanted to make the computer thinner, but they still need to maintain minimum battery life and they still have all these components that need to go in there and, and, you know, however many ports they get away, do away with the ports that they keep do take up some amount of space and therefore they're left with less room for a keyboard with more travel, right? Cause the travel takes up space. Well, yeah, like, like Microsoft and Google managed to give better travel on keyboards yep. that look every bit as thin to me. Yep. And you know, um, you know, say what you want about the, the slate, uh, the slate tablet, yeah. Their keyboard feels better than Apple's, yep. even with those stupid round keys, which are a gimmick that they shouldn't have done. <laughs> yeah. yes. um, but just in terms of clickiness, it feels better, you know? And I, I, I don't know. I, I guarantee, I've, I, I absolutely would wager that people who've tried both would agree that Microsoft makes a better feeling keyboard uh, right now than Apple. And it, that That's should not this be reminds the case. Me of, like, the, the, the keyboard reminds me of the Mac Pro, the Cylinder Mac Pro, where somebody had an idea that this could be the future, that they were solving real problems. They were making these more stable, more uniform, wider keys, and that this was a direction. And it just turned out to not be the direction. <laughs> and the same way they're making a new Mac Pro, they got to just refigure out this computer, this right. keyboard. I mean, but ba- my, my, my my hope is that basically as Apple continues to get better at making computers smaller and smaller, I mean, and you know, the watch yeah. is the perfect example of that, that, that they can make a completely performant MacBook pro with such a tiny computer that, that the base of it really only needs, um, room for a keyboard and trackpad yeah. that the keyboard and trackpad can use as much space as they want, you know, to be as, as clicky as, and pleasant feeling, uh, as necessary because the computer parts are so tiny that they don't really take up a lot of internal space. Right. Cause you wouldn't need a T2 chip. That would all be built into the, to the Apple chip. Right. Right. I mean, look at how thin the damn iPad pros are. I know it's like a piece of paper. Right. And surely a, a significant amount of the depth that's there is, uh, uh, for the display. Yeah, display plus battery is pretty much, right. I think, all you have in terms of depth in that thing. Right. So if the display was on a hinge, like on a MacBook, yep. imagine how small the computer part would be yeah. of an iPad Pro-based uh, MacBook Pro. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, you know, fascinating. And, you know, including the battery, right? Yeah. Right? And I mean, nobody, would, is... nobody complains about the battery life of an iPad Pro. No, no, not at all. I mean, I guess the battery life would be a little worse because Mac OS consumes more battery life than iPad um, iOS does, but still, basically, it's it's yeah. clearly but in a fifteen-inch device, like or a thirteen-inch right. device, you right. have a lot of room. It's clear that from a hardware perspective, Apple could make a a tremendous uh, 
ARM-based MacBooks. It's entirely a software issue at and this just point. just efficiency, too. Be like they wouldn't, right. right now, they're using an Intel generic chipset, and that's got to support Microsoft and a whole bunch of other stuff. They're not going to put any DirectX baggage right. in an Apple chip. All that kind right. of stuff is going to go away. Right. So anyway, I just hope that they take whatever space they can to make the keyboard. If they need more space yeah. to make the keyboard better, take more space to make the keyboard better. That's a big hope for the future. Uh, Mac mini. I don't know what else to say about that. I'm glad they did it. It's, you know, certainly one difference between us talking in late 2018 <laughs> versus late 2017 is at least we've answered the question of whether Apple is, uh, you know, whether the Mac mini is doomed or not, right? It is yes. most definitely not doomed. It seemingly has a bright future. Yeah, and it's curious because uh, that that is like pro- I think the worst selling Mac. I mean, it's tied for the Mac Pro. Not not that people don't love it, not that it's a great machine, but just in terms of volume, right. it's all MacBooks, and then it's all iMacs, and then it's you know Mac Pro and Mac Mini. And Apple, some people argue that Apple should be getting rid of the computers they don't sell very much of, but Apple really invested in it. And I know some people were super upset because they it's not an entry level computer anymore. It's not the four hundred ninety nine dollar cheapest Mac you can buy. Now it's 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 aimed squarely at server side, developer side, and more pro use. But they still made a pretty a pretty cool little box out of that thing. Yeah, very much so. Uh, they don't still sell old Mac Minis, do they? They just I don't got rid of think them. Think so. Yeah, like, they that was so old. Yeah, but that would have been interesting. But they still sell the, the MacBook Air, the, like the, the 2011 MacBook Air. I think that for the people who want to do something super low performance-wise, you know, like if you just wanted to do like what what I was talking about getting a Raspberry Pi to do and you just want to have a headless server in your home running, yeah. uh, you know, serving as a media server or running Plex or, you know, any of that type stuff that really isn't CPU intensive because everything's already transcoded to where you want it to be. And it's just more or less putting bits on the internet on the ethernet. Um, and so, you know, even $800 would be overkill or way yeah. overkill. Uh, I still think that market, if you really want it to be running Mac OS 10, I think that market is sort of well served by the eBay market. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice if Apple had something in that lineup, but I, I kind of see why they don't, because it really would be so different than these new Mac minis, and it would be confusing why there's this one that's 400 and it jumps to 800 or whatever. And they also said that people who are entry level now, they, they aren't the same people who were buying these computers 10 years ago. They want the yeah. screen and they want the trackpad and they want the keyboard, and they're buying MacBook Airs. They're not buying Mac minis anymore. Yeah. Um, but that was good. So, you know. Yeah. And, and we've got the promise of a Mac Pro for 2019. Yep. Uh, so I guess before we leave the Mac, we can look ahead and, and try to guess when that might be. Yeah, and we still need the updates for the iMac uh, and the 12-inch yeah. MacBook if they're going to do them. I mean, the iMac seems like, like – I'm surprised we didn't get Coffee Lake iMacs. I mean, maybe it wasn't a huge deal in terms of how yeah. much new performance Intel offered. Or maybe they're still resource-constrained. They just don't have enough people to – because I think some people think it's just like Intel announces a new chip. It should automatically be in the Mac. Mm-hmm. But it takes a while for the specific versions that Apple to use to come out, like sometimes months and months and months. And then Apple works with Intel to do things like PowerNap and all these different features and to integrate it with the T2 and – all this other stuff. So it takes engineering hours to get that done and they might just not have had them. Yeah. And I have the distinct impression that sometimes they're working on it. And while they're doing that with a specific thing in mind, because they're building this intricate, this entire integrated system that depends on all of this, Intel's 
schedule changes. Yes. And the one that they were waiting for for the system is now behind this other one. And you can't just plop it in like, you know. The that way happened that, a couple of years ago. And they had to ship the 21.5 with an older chip because right. it just Intel didn't have it ready. Right. I think it happens more often than you think. And yeah. I think it's, you know, uh, I, I truly and firmly believe, you know, the answer to the question of why did it take so long to ship the, the Retina MacBook Air? And that's the reason that what they were planning to ship, they couldn't ship. And I think it's also maybe why they only have one CPU option in the MacBook Air. Like, I kind of like it as a simplicity thing. And I love the fact that when you shop for a new iPad Pro, you don't have to pick an I, a CPU config. Uh, <laughs> trust me, coming from just buying a gaming PC, it... You know, I to me, I actually think that the two where the two areas where it's most interesting would be the gaming PC world where you can pick yeah. anything, right? You've got a, a, a literally maybe dozens and dozens of CPU and GPU options and types of RAM, and you can pick the type of motherboard and you can pick it all, right? Or the Apple route where they make decisions for you and you just pick how much storage you want and that's it. Yeah. Um, no, I think you're like the, but I do, the M3 I think, is, sorry. Well, I just think that, that the MacBook Air in particular exemplifies that there's only one, there is no CPU upgrade option. And when you look at it, like the M3, which they they do do in the 12 inch MacBook, it's just anemic. It, it, it's, it's so bad compared to the M5 version. And I think Intel intentionally cripples the chip too. I don't think the chip has to be that bad. I think they yeah. do it because of their SKUs. And then the, the, the i7 version was probably thermally beyond. I mean, Apple was, to your point, Apple was betting on 10 nanometer Intel chips right. to fit into all of these new computers. And now all everything from the MacBook Pro to the MacBook Air are running chips that are much bigger and hotter than Apple yep. anticipated. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know this specifically. I, I have been told basically that the answer to why the MacBook Air took as long as it did was Intel. So that's yeah. the short version. Uh, Intel's I think like two years slow, two years I, later, two and three years late now. I think the slightly longer version is that they were banking on 10 nanometer chips yeah. and Intel hasn't gotten it and it left Apple in the lurch. I, I really yeah. do. And I really definitely, I, I think the MacBook Air. It's like you, your argument just a couple of minutes ago that but with the Mac mini selling in probably the lowest quantities of any Mac, there's the question of why Apple should care at all. Whereas the MacBook Air is and remains the most popular Mac. Yes. So if they're going to make Macs at all, of course, they're not going to leave that one lagging. Uh, I, I, I don't think anybody at Apple involved in it was anything other than if both yeah. furious and, and, yes. and embarrassed at the, yes. at the delay it took to get a Retina MacBook Air out. I, I, I think they took it seriously at, at the very highest levels of the company. Um, and they never and, say it. Like in the briefings, they will never tell you. They're nothing but cordial and polite about Intel when you talk to them. Right. But you can just feel this. Correct. Correct. Because they're, they're professionals and they're not going to yes. throw anybody under the bus. And they, you know, uh, up, until, up until the point when they switch to their own chips and can put up a graph comparing yes. the price Price per uh, the the performance per watt of what they're going to compared to what they're leaving behind, and even then they won't slag. I, I, I don't know that. I think they'll they'll do it in a way where they're slagging the chip and not the company. Yeah, it'll be performance performance per watt, right? Right, it's the like, same as it was with the PC. Uh, I just Power linked PC. to it a couple of weeks ago. I linked to Steve Jobs's introduction of the Intel transition at WWDC two thousand six. I think, or maybe yeah. it's 2005. Um, and it's remarkable because it, the thing that's most remarkable is that word for word, what he's saying, I think is what 
the argument Apple will make when they switch from Intel to ARM chips. It, I did a video re-editing that yeah. over an ARM transition, and it works perfectly. Ooh, let me get a link to that. Uh, <laughs> okay. uh, put a link to that in the note, sure. uh, and I will make sure it gets in the show notes. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's absolutely, you know, and it, including graphs that show the performance per watt uh, and, and the, the argument. And it's like, ah, oh, it's just so Steve Jobs, like, man, this guy was great. Yep. He was like, we have, we have ideas for devices that we think you'll love, and we can't make them based yep. on the PowerPC, ro- the chips coming in the PowerPC roadmap. Yeah. And we can make them with the ones on the Intel roadmap. There it is. We can make the, we have ideas for future devices that would be great. You're going to love them, but we need to switch to our chips from these chips to make them real. Such uh, a great presentation. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how short some of his things were. Like, it's like he announced like, <laughs> complete architecture architecture transition that was going to up you know upheave all hardware and all software for the entire platform and it took like five minutes yeah and even he he was even funny about like mac os has been leaving a secret double life and google maps into the the building right he circled the building we've had it running in here all along oh and then the great the 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 greatest part is he's like oh by the way this whole keynote so far (laughs) yeah it's been running on an intel mac right here here it is because of course it was right yeah it's just so perfect um so 2019 Mac should be a big year, right? It's like, yeah. it's good. It's pretty good year for the mobile, you know, the, the MacBook lineup. But, you know, I feel like the Mac Pro is coming. We have no idea what it is other than it should be a monster graphically. Um, uh, but no, you know, it, it, nothing is leaked out of that project. Uh, iMacs are in need of an update. I think we need an answer to, hey, how frequently are right, iMac Pro, great device, yes. very popular, super successful. Every, you know, it, it, you know it, it is what everybody was hoping it would be. But how often are they going to update it, right? Was it a yeah. one-off? Like they focused some attention on, the, on a Pro iMac and came out with something that looked cool and performed great. And then, you know, it's, that's it. We're done. <laughs> We're done with that one. Or, I was even just looking, like I was trying to figure out what Intel chip came out because those are still running Xeon Skylake because there was no Xeon KB Lake yet, and we're already on Coffee Lake on the right. desktop version. I'm trying to figure out what the hell chip they'd even put in that to update it. Right. So that, I think that's you know very much in need of an update. It would be it would be interesting if they updated it alongside the Mac Pro, uh, yeah, and then explained. You know, I think they could. You know, I, I, hopefully they would. I, I, it would be interesting to me because they could do a significant update to the iMac Pro and then unveil the Mac Pro and then explain why they see a need for both to exist. All right. Yep. Here's the new iMac Pro. We've had it. It's, you know, it's over a year old. It's been great. People are using it for X, Y, and Z. Uh, now here's the Mac Pro. Here's why we made this, even though the iMac Pro is, is great for these other things. Right. Because I feel like yep. you need, they need to answer that question. That Mac Pro needs to answer why does it exist in a world where the Mac Pro exists and gets updated semi-regularly. And when they put it next to the, whatever that new Pro does, I feel like the expectational debt on that new Pro display is ridiculous. Like you look on the web and people are saying, oh, is it going to be OLED? Is it going to be 8K? Like what is <laughs> Apple going to do with that display? That is just going to be ridiculous unless it's, it's something concrete. Well, I like it. I did one thing too, looking at at the gaming PC world and trying to get Jonas a 4K display uh, that would work for gaming. Now, I realize the iMac display doesn't have refresh rates that are good for gaming, yeah. um, and that's part of the thing. 
But price-wise, the fact that you can get a really beautiful 5K display in an iMac with, you know, HDR and and yeah, a, a, a tr- tremendous color response. Um <laughs> and 4K displays for PCs are <laughs> more expensive than the base model iMacs. I mean, it just shows that, you know, it it's different needs and, you know, but it's, yeah. uh, boy, the, the, you know, the display you get with your iMac is a hell of a bargain in my, yeah. from what I can see on the market. Yeah. Even if you just look at the LG 5k display, which is essentially right. the same panel, it's, right. You know, it's a thousand bucks worth of display right there. Right. It's, you know, it, it's truly, you know, and so, yeah, the expectations for a standalone pro display from Apple are well high. Yeah. And then you got to put the iMac pro next to that and it's got to hold up. So right. we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, uh, and uh, what do we expect for the MacBooks? I, you know, do we expect a new MacBook Pro design next year? Like something significantly different, not just a speed bump? Or is that too soon? I don't, it feels like Face ID has got to be coming to the Mac at some point because it just makes so much sense. But the problem with the Face ID coming to the Mac that I see is that part of the newest generation of MacBooks, the, the modern generation of all MacBooks, is that they've gone to this new thinner top panel and yeah. a, it, that is great in every single way in terms of you know how light it is, how thin it is, uh, and just how easy it is to, to tilt it because it's so light and it has a tremendously improved hinge. Uh, even though the old hinge was probably better than anything else on the market. The new hinge yeah. is like the most unheralded genius part of physical engineering in these MacBooks. Um, but the downside is it's so thin that A, it doesn't have the Apple logo backlighting anymore. And yes. B, it means that because it's so thin, there's no room for a good camera. And so the, uh, you know, like the FaceTime camera that's in it right now is really kind of a turd of a in camera 12 inch it's 480p it's i didn't even realize that. yeah right yeah it is like a, something from 15 years ago um like i think even the original eyesight camera was 720p you know the one that looked like yeah. a little uh canister of film so you know there's there's laws of physics involved there of how thin can they make a sensor array that does even if it, you know, I, in theory, I could imagine they could do a face ID sensor that works up to their standards, but still doesn't allow for a really great camera, you know, that yeah, photographic part of it. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, ultimately it's, it really, really, it, it, once you get used to face ID, it's really tough in the same way that yeah. we were all craving touch ID on our Macs, uh, for a couple of years, uh, and it's it's kind of like weak sauce. Like here you go, you have Touch ID on your new MacBook now, but <laughs> you don't even want it anymore. You want Face ID. Yeah, but that's totally it. Like it, it finally came to the MacBook Air. Like what is it? Five years after it came to the iPhone, right? Uh, so I don't know. Hopefully, I would guess. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, and I think it, it just makes sense because you want to get that technology across as many as your products yeah. as, of your products as possible. Yeah, we need. Uh, we need an answer to what's the update to the 12 inch MacBook. Is that waiting for the switch to arm or are they going, you know, you know, and I guess that's the other big question is, yeah. is this, is this the year when they announced the arm transition at WWDC? Cause I can only imagine that that would be a WWDC announcement, but then it's yeah. funny too. Cause we all sort of expect them to do this. There are some reports with sources, you know, uh, German familiar with the people who right. wrote the situation. 
you know, German has said that they're working on it. Um, of course they have it working in theory, right? Of course yeah. there's a secret lab running a Mac, o, Mac OS 10 or Mac OS, whatever we call it these days. Uh, we well, had Markler in the closet for what, like three, four, five years before we saw it. I mean, right. They, they, well, all along, this. no, they never stopped. You yeah. know, they never, you know, according to Jobs, and it makes sense. Yeah. You know, based on next next steps, cross platform nature, they had it cross compiling all along. And you hear stories about the ARM, the ARM MacBooks, and the iOS laptops going back four, five, six years still, yeah. which is when they launched the A4 chip. So I'm guessing it's going to be similar to the same. Yeah. Which is why that speech fits so well. Yeah. To this day. Uh, but it's funny, it, 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 you know, in terms of like, Ooh, this could be an inter interesting year is it's funny to think of them maybe hypothetically in March or April unveiling, they could, you know, unveil new Mac, this new long awaited Mac pro and updates to these Intel based high end workstations. Yeah. And then months later, say we're moving away from Intel, uh, you know, what's the answer to that? Like in the past two transitions from 68K to PowerPC and then from PowerPC to Intel, they were complete transitions, you know, and it was within, you know, a year to year and a half, all, all Macs moved from the old architecture to the new architecture. And in theory, one way around this is that maybe the Mac, it will remain Intel and ARM, and it'll be Intel based on the desktop and ARM based on the portables. And there's and no reason not to do that, really. They're already hybrids. Like they're using the T2 right. chip not just for security, but they're using it for the HEVC encode decode because Intel simply can't keep up with what they're doing on ARM. And right. that's what makes it so much faster than other computers. And you can you can see sort of a tipping point where you have an Intel chip with an ARM coprocessor, and then you have an ARM chip with an Intel coprocessor just to handle backwards compatibility and some of the higher end stuff that they like some of maybe the Xeon stuff or some of the stuff they need on a pro workstation. Yeah. So I'm not saying I would bet on that. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's the answer to how do they spend all this time working on a brand new Mac Pro architecture based on Intel technology and then at the same time uh, announce this major switch to, away from Intel. Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's just a portable versus desktop dichotomy and for yeah. at least for the foreseeable future the next few years it just stays that way and you don't nobody users don't have to worry about it you don't have to know every app just ships as a fat app with you know both xcode just spits out both versions and uh you know when you're on a macbook it runs the arm and it, when you're on a desktop it runs the intel and it's also just assuming that saruji hasn't figured out a way to run multiple arm cores in a way that just blows you out the water Right. But on the, I don't expect, though, that the Mac Pro that they've been working on would be that. I mean, yeah. although it would be if they if it were, that would be the shock of a <laughs> shock of a <laughs> lifetime. Another great presentation. Right. If it's all along, it has been, you know, that they never had any intention of the new Mac Pro being Intel based. If it was always, yeah. uh, you know, some kind of 18 core arm thing, that would be damn cool. I don't expect that, but... <laughs> Would be pretty well, damn what cool. I like about Apple is one of these few companies, like you, no one's having these speculative discussions about what Dell's next right. you know, workstation is going to be. Right. No. So it's or HP know. or whatever. Uh, and then, you know, yeah, that's the Mac. Um, uh, what else is on my list here? I got the, uh, I got the iPad. Yeah. So the, was there a regular iPad update this year? Yeah, there was the added pencil support to the 9.7 inch at the March education event. That's right. Right. At, in Chicago. 
Yeah. Uh, right. And, but it was a little weird in hindsight, like the whole thing where like, it didn't really work with the Apple pencil. It only worked, or does it work with the yeah, Apple Yeah, it works pencil? with the Apple pencil with the new crayon. All um, right, but the crayon doesn't work on the iPad Pro. No, uh, the, the crayon uses this really different technology that's really meant for education to let teachers just throw a bunch of them out at students and right. have them willy-nilly pick them up and use them. Right. So the, the 9.7-inch iPad does work with Apple Pencil, but it also yep. works with the crayon, but the crayon only works with the iPad. Yes. Uh, uh, nice update. I don't know. You yeah. know, I don't know how well it is. You know, it's like the conversation as, you know, this year has been dominated by the new iPad Pros because – and the enthusiast community, it's by far the more interesting device, but yeah. it's, you know, it, it, it truly, the, the 9.7 inch iPad truly is Apple's computer that is priced for, uh, people who, you know, think a thousand dollars is too much. Right. It's amazing. Every, so that's one of the things, like all the price complaints that we've been getting this year, and you know, I can certainly sympathize with a lot of them. Apple's also been pushing some of their best technologies down to really like the the pencil on a three hundred and fifty dollar iPad that you could often find on sale for like eighty bucks less than that. Right. Um, takes a lot of the, it takes a lot of the sting out of that price curve. Right. It doesn't. I don't know. You know. Obviously. They wanted us to think of it as a solution for the education market. I mean, they held the event at a school. Yeah. Uh, whether they've done anything to stem the tidal wave of the K-12 education market going all Chromebook, all Google, I don't know. I, I'm not close enough to, to judge that, but I, I'm not sure that they have. And No, I don't think they've done anything. I think like, I don't think Apple institutionally equipped. I mean, a lot of people want them to do it because they want the same level of privacy and education that Apple's delivering to the consumer sector. But it, I think it's the same as enterprise was 20 years ago, where they just never stopped the onslaught of Microsoft. It's just that the company's not built that way. But what they've done in, in education that I really like this year is just all of, they spent hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in courses like uh, everyone can code, everyone can create all the Today at Apple stuff, the field trips, the um, hour of code, the summer camps. They just give that away to anybody. You don't have to own Apple stuff. You can just go to an Apple store and learn all that stuff. And it's a fundamentally different education model than Google and Microsoft. And it's not about the classroom. It's about direct to, to, to children learning. But it's right. still a, a pretty amazing investment on Apple's part. Yeah. Uh, iPad Pro, on the other hand... Uh, different market. Yep. Uh, it's probably, in my opinion, the the Apple hardware device of the year. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Like Watch, I, got I think, would be a close, because of all the cool health stuff, would be the, the other one for me. But yeah. Yeah. I don't know, though, that the watch is, well, maybe it is as much better as the iPad Pro is over the previous iPad. 64-bit, the ECG. There's just a lot in there, I think, to... But those two definitely stand way above the rest for me. Uh, well, let me take a break and thank our next sponsor. Uh, and it's our good friends at Squarespace. Look, Squarespace sponsors this show on a very regular basis. And the reason that they keep sponsoring it is simple. People keep signing up for Squarespace who listen to the show. Uh, like I told you last episode, the idea isn't that, hey, maybe today, the day you're listening to this episode, you want to start a new website and you're going to go drop pause the show and go start a website on Squarespace. The idea is you listen to me tell you how good they are. And then when you do need a new website, and maybe you do need want one soon, you know, it's New Year's, people do New Year's resolutions. Maybe you want a res maybe one of your resolutions is to start a new website or replace an old one with a new one. 
my recommendation is that you start by just giving, put 30 minutes into it, maybe an hour. Maybe that 30 minutes turns into an hour because you keep going. Start it at Squarespace and see how far you can go. It really is all in one web hosting, web design. You pick great templates. They're all professionally designed. They all scale from your phone to a giant 27-inch display. Huge variety. And they're all customizable completely. And you do the customization right there in the browser through drag and drop in a human, you know, non-coding interface. Uh, you don't need to know HTML or CSS or JavaScript or anything like that to get all the cool functionality. If you do know things like HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, you can definitely get in there and modify this stuff manually if you want to, but you don't have to. It's just like buying a car. You don't have to open the hood, but if you want to open the hood, you can open the hood. Uh, high performance, great analytics, and a terrific analytic interface, domain name registration, you name it when it comes to hosting a website. E-commerce. You want to set up a store? Set it up at Squarespace, and they handle everything from making it easy for you to add you know, SKUs and have items, you know, catalog of things to sell, options for what, what, what type of options there are for the things you're selling. And then they handle all the credit card stuff. Uh, really, everything you want to do on a website, you can do at Squarespace. Keep it in mind, next time you need a new website, including if you're building one for the new year. Uh, where do you go to find out more? Go to squarespace.com slash talk show, squarespace.com slash talk show. And when you head there, use the offer code talk show when you pay and you'll get 10% off your first purchase, but you get a free trial to start. You can just go to squarespace.com slash talk show. You don't have to pay anything and you can get started for free and see how far you can go building your new website today. My thanks to Squarespace for their continuing sponsorship of the talk show. Uh, what else about iPad? I guess we can't, we can't stop talking about iPad without talking about the, to me, maybe the debate of the year, which is the yeah. dichotomy between the brilliance of the iPad pro hardware and the limitations of iOS 12 as a, uh, workstation OS for, for, for work. Yeah. I mean, we could obviously do a whole show on this. We can't, but probably have <laughs> <laughs> but i really do feel like there is something about this year's hardware and maybe the meager improvements of ios 12 on the ipad pro front in terms of features that really sort of brought this to a head that the hardware has gotten ever better it is undeniably to me the best portable computing hardware yeah. anybody's ever made. And the software is to me frustrating, frustratingly limited. I think it's a little bit nuanced because this was not the software that was supposed to ship with it. We, you know, in order to get all those performance improvements with iOS 12, roughly half of the features were pushed back to iOS 13, including the new springboard and, and a bunch of other stuff that might've made a lot more sense with this hardware any other year. But then also a lot of people's solution was like, oh, just put Finder on there, which is exactly mm -hmm. the opposite right. of what Apple, like Apple doesn't want to copy over, like cut and paste Mac features. They want to find the intent behind those features and implement them in a way that makes sense for the future, not the past. Yeah. But it's a tough, it is a, it's a challenge. And this to me, the fact that it is difficult to solve these problems with, without, while keeping the iPad what it's great at already and always has been, right? Uh, it It's a tough design challenge, really tough. It is, you know, to me, the most exciting 
area of user interface design going on today. Um, but that's what Apple's always been good at is solving these problems. They had some, I mean, the past was hard for them because I think in the Steve Jobs, Scott Forrestal era, there was a real feeling that iOS 6 was like the pinnacle and that iOS should never get more complicated. It should mm. remain an incredibly easy to use, accessible operating system for everyone. And if you don't like it, get a Mac. But then when Craig Federici came on board, he skews way nerdier and he started doing things like airdrop and continuity and extensibility and all of those things that made the, the operating system so much, so much more powerful with a such bigger potential. But they had so much to recover then. They had to do the size classes. They had to do the size. But they, had, they had to build out a whole infrastructure, the headless apps, everything. Mm. And that put them even further, like, years behind. And now they still have to, to your point, they have to catch up the software to where the hardware is. Yeah, and there's things that are as, as pleasing as touch interface can be and as accessible as that makes it. And I think it explains the great success that, just regular people have using an iPad and thriving on it and getting more done and doing more than they ever did on a, yeah. a, a Mac or Windows machine because it is conceptually simpler. And there is a sense, I mean, the Mac in particular goes out of the way, out of its way to try to make it hard to mess up your system by using it. Right. But the iPad makes it impossible. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like you can't really do anything or install anything on your iPad that messes it up. But there are inherent limitations. Like one that I keep every time I try to use iOS on extended basis, like it really, really bothers me now that they've added drag and drop, which yeah. in theory is better because it didn't have drag and drop and the Mac did and drag and drop is good. But now that it has drag and drop, when I hold my finger on a link in Safari and I want to get the contextual menu with a bunch of options of things to do with the link, I have to wait. Because yes. when I first touch on it, it raises the link as a drag and drop object. Yeah. Whereas it's on the Mac, it's overloaded. The gestures are overloaded at this point. Right. And it is an area like in terms of being conceptually simpler t touch is better, but a mouse pointer with a click is, yeah. uh, is more powerful because you don't have to wait for either, right? You put your mouse on the link and right click and the contextual moment menu opens instantly and when you put your mouse over the pointer and click and drag you drag the url immediately there's no wait for either you can it conceptually can support both things as an instantaneous action whereas with touch um one of them has to be something you wait for and i personally yeah. feel like they maybe made it the wrong way that maybe the contextual menu should have opened first and then if you keep yeah. holding then you can drag because or in a world where there was pressure on an ipad right. to be able to just touch it to have the contextual menu and then press it to do the drag and drop or vice versa right or maybe make the contextual menu open right away but at the top of it is a grippy strip where you yeah can, you can use that to drag the link i mean there's other ways to do it i mean and again i i can that's just those are just things off the top of my head but the way things stand today it is frustrating to me every single time and it's not one of those things that I get used to. It's one of those things where my frustration grows over time because I never yeah. want to wait for the computer. And it's absolutely yeah. ridiculous that I'm waiting for the fastest Apple portable I've ever, I've ever owned. It's a far faster yeah. computer than my 2014 MacBook Pro. And yet I'm waiting for it just to give me a link to copy the URL. <laughs> And you shouldn't have to think about like how they should implement it. I mean, this is a problem that we have, and it's their job to fix these problems. Right. And you know, I think that there's a sh I think the shortcut is a two finger tap on a URL will open it in a new tab. Yeah, uh, that's a good shortcut that I didn't know about for a while. 
but sometimes links are only on one word and there's not enough room to two finger tap on it. Yeah. You know, it's and also those things aren't that discoverable. Well, it's not discoverable at all, but it's good yeah. to know, but you literally can't, you know, like one of the other inherent limitations of touch is it requires significantly more space because your yes. fingers are fat. And if somebody just links on the word here, uh, which is bad hyperlinking style, frankly, but it happens. There's no room for two fingers to touch it, or yeah. you have to be so incredibly precise that you're waiting anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like the, you want the instant state to be the the drag, but there's so many other. Again, it's, it's just overloaded. There's only unless you start drawing spells on the screen to right. do a whole bunch of different things, which isn't human accessible at all. There's only a limited amount of things that are really big, juicy gestures if you sink your fingers into. And all of those, like just think how, how many different things you're swiping up from the bottom of the screen to do or swiping up from different corners of the screen. And all of that stuff is now massively overloaded. But it's not the worst idea in the world. You know, like I've written a bunch recently in the last half, last couple of months about undo and how undo kind of is yeah. su sucks on iOS. You know, the fact that the standard interface thing for undo is still shake to undo is... Uh, a undiscoverable b makes people look silly and c is theoretically a little dangerous you know like yeah. it, it certainly isn't uh certainly has accessibility problems um like it's a great gag but it's not a great usability feature right and it's like if you search twitter and stuff like that you can find people every day who are discovering that that's how you undo and they can't believe it yeah. um and you know drawing apps have come up with a sort of well, even Apple supports it where you're in the uh, notes when you're in the uh, markup mode. There's a little sort of backward looking arrow that yeah. you can tap to do it. But that's only when you're drawing, you know, whereas on the Mac, undo is a solved problem. Command Z, edit menu, undo has been there since 1984. And they've, you know, they work in every single context for every type of app and every type of action. Uh it, you know, and other vendors have solved this, like you just swipe backwards and look across the keyboard because the keyboard's yeah. not real. It's, you can do anything you want on it. Swipe backwards on the keyboard, it undoes. Swipe forwards on the keyboard, yeah. it redoes. There's all these different things that can be implemented. Yeah, and you know, it doesn't have to be. Uh, you know, the fact that it could there could be shortcuts for it. You know, that that aren't discoverable doesn't mean you shouldn't use them. There should be something yeah. that's discoverable, and there should be there could be shortcuts that are more convenient. You know, like the um, Procreate double finger. Yeah, right. That's which is sort of widely adopted. What is it? A two finger tap? Yep. Yeah, two finger tap to undo. Um, but again, there's sort of an overloading, you know, there's only so many ways you can tap. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, like I just said before, Apple has used two finger tap in Safari to mean open the link in a new tab. Yep. Right. And so it's kind of weird. It would be like if Command Z opened a new tab in Safari. Like, uh, no, if Command. If you were hovering over a link. Yeah. Didn't if you weren't hovering over right. a link. Like undo sort of needs to be universal. And, yep. you know, again, I've mentioned many times before that, you know, the Newton gets a bad rap, but the Newton had it down. You took the pen yeah. and you scribbled uh, up and down, up and down, up and down. And it was undo. Yeah. Or was it side to side? I forget which way. I don't know. But there was like a little back and forth motion you could make and then uh, had a nice little poof animation where it would. Uh, I guess that was delete. I don't know. Maybe that wasn't undo. Maybe it did like a Z for undo. I, I've, I'm yeah, sorry, people who remember either. the Newton vividly, but there, <laughs> was, there was a standard undo. And there was an undo button built into the thing underneath the screen. That's how important yeah. undo was on the Newton. I guess the scribble was how you deleted shit. Now I got to get my yeah. Newton out. <laughs> uh, please don't write in. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Newton had system-wide undo, had system-wide delete. And, you know, the gestures, you know, I don't know. I feel like, anyway, 2019, looking forward to it on the iPad. I really, 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 really will be disappointed if there aren't major 
structural yeah. interface, conceptual interface changes that effectively make iOS on iPad more of an iPad OS. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to your point about the zero regression, the only way to have consistent progress with iPad is if you have a separate team. Like there's an Apple Watch team and an Apple TV team, and they get their own segments at WWDC, and that means they have to have something to present. But there's nothing for iPad. So we have years where there's almost nothing yeah. for iPad. But if they had their own team and their own segment and they had their own tent poles, every year we'd get something for iPad. Yeah. And, you know, uh, uh, there is nothing wrong. I also don't think there's anything wrong with the fact that maybe even a majority, almost certainly a majority of iPad, happy iPad users are literally using the iPad as a big iPhone. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's, I think that's that's the main reason why the iPad is sold in the uh, aggregate quantities that it has. And there's no reason that that should be law, you know, for the people who really want to use it in a very simple way with one app at a time and a way to go home and then tap another app and then want, you know, the app takes the whole screen. Um, that's great, but I, it just needs to scale to power usage in the way that I have the Mac did, right. The Mac it could yeah. be used and, you know, if anything, the, some of the simplicity of the Mac has been lost, you know, that the, there's a lot of stuff going on in a default finder window, you know, as yeah. opposed to, you know, system six era, the Mac could be used in a very simple way back then, and yet supported all sorts of things that you could do while holding down keys on the keyboard and um, installing third party software that supported extremely uh, advanced power use, you know, for advanced users. It scaled directly I, from simplicity, not being familiar with the mouse to being a power user with one hand on a keyboard and one hand on a mouse at all times. <laughs> I have family members who seriously only use their iPhone to play music, take photographs and answer the phone and maybe text and that's it. And they don't know or care about anything on that device. And it's wonderful because they can do that and I can use Siri shortcuts and we don't get in each other's way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, Siri shortcuts is probably one of the highlights of the year. For yeah. me, for iOS, uh, I still don't use it as much as I probably should. Although I have a couple, it's it's like with Apple Script and Keyboard Maestro, I make my own things on the Mac. Whereas on Siri shortcuts, I'm using shortcuts made by others. Um, yes. Uh, not because I can't, but because I mean, Syracuse talked about this on ATP a few episodes ago. But it's like if you are a programmer, it feels like you're. It's very frustrating to go into the limitations of shortcuts for making something adept or, or yeah. in depth. But, uh, and you know, like I've said before, like I think I said on a recent episode, like Automator is similar, where you have these steps that you stack visually. But when I use Automator, <laughs> it's effectively like just one thing, and then I have like a Perl, <laughs> Perl or Apple Script program in the second step, and it's just a way to make a service where it yeah. takes the selection as input and replaces the selection as output, and everything I'm creating is in the middle step, which is either written in Perl or Apple script. Um, and there is no step like that. Like, that's what I kind of yeah. want for shortcuts is, and I know that that language would be JavaScript uh, in the yeah. iOS world. And I'm fine with that. I mean, I don't, it's not my favorite language, but I could live with it, but I kind of want there to be a JavaScript step that you can make just to, you know, <laughs> program yeah, if you want to program. But yeah. anyway, it's been a very, it's been a success. And I think it's some of the things people are making with Siri shortcuts are almost shocking to me how yep. powerful they are and app like the experience can be. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been great. And it's only the first, that's, it's the first iteration. And I think, I know you had it in your notes and I don't know when you want to talk about it, but just Apple seems to have suddenly started taking all of that stuff far more seriously uh, this year than they have in previous years. 
Uh, well, like what stuff? Like uh, the AI, the just making yeah. making Siri and making the voice interface part of iOS almost like an starting to build it back up to being an equal citizen. Well, let's hold on that thought. Let's talk. Yeah. Uh, let's go through watch and iPhone first. Yeah, uh, I don't want to give short shrift to the watch. Um, I didn't buy a watch series four though, just because okay. I already have the series three. And as much as I like the series four for what and when I wear my Apple watch doesn't seem like a yeah. buy a new one every year thing. And maybe if I was buying the aluminum models, I would, but I bought this space black stainless steel one yeah. the year before. Um, and on, uh, while I think the new watch hardware is clearly better looking, that was really the gist of my entire review. Uh, <laughs> I actually think that the watch faces, the classic watch faces look better on the old Apple watch and only the new yes. watch faces look best on the new Apple watch. And I like, I like the, uh, I still like of all the faces, I like utility the best. And I think utility looks best on the old Apple watch. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, they're finally starting to add back some of the missing complications like messages and mail to the new watch faces, yeah. which was, uh, which is a big improvement for me. Yeah. And I wonder, I actually have to fire, I still have the review unit. I got to send that back, but I want to fire it up with the latest version of watchOS on it and see if they've also fixed it. it to me, it was a sign that they were a little late is that a lot of the area, a lot of the watch faces, I have this thing set to use bold font everywhere, which yeah. isn't even an accessibility thing for my eyes. I just think it looks better, but it was re yeah. all the new watch faces. They didn't use the bold font anywhere and all the complications. It was like, they didn't get around to supporting supporting that it's like the thin version of san francisco everywhere yeah i don't know if they fixed that i'll have to take a look um but i do think it's i think it's a remarkable i think it's i think it's also interesting that the watch is the only other hardware that is clearly on an annual cycle compared to the phone everybody knows the phone is on an annual cycle yeah. and everybody knows that the phone is by the books at least 65 percent of apple's profits but you can make the argument that because like you have to have a phone to get a watch and how much of Apple's services business goes through people who have a phone that it's arguably, you know, maybe 75 or 80% of Apple's business, you know, that at least it all, if it's not directly through iPhone sales, it is things that rely upon the iPhone. Yes. So everybody knows the iPhone, you know, and that's why the iPhone is on a religious uh, annual schedule. You know, I, I would be shocked as shit if in, uh, early September next year, there is not an Apple event on a Tuesday or Wednesday where they introduce yes. brand new iPhones. Um, but it's interesting to me that the watch is seemingly on that same schedule. Yeah, I think it's just, it's so early as a product, like in the early days of iPad, that there's just so much yeah. they can iterate that they're just, they're doing those yeah. iterations. Yeah, and one rule, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, there will come day eventually. I mean, who knows how many years from now? I mean, it's hard to imagine, you know, it certainly isn't the foreseeable future, but there will come a day when there's no longer an annual iPhone every year. I mean, I don't know if it's a Apple 20 iPod member, <laughs> right? And it was, you know, all of a sudden there isn't an iPod. I mean, but I do think though, that with the watch, it follows, you know, one thing I know you've heard it. I've heard it. We talked to people uh, at Apple and one thing that they are very serious about is they don't want to make changes just to make changes. Yes. They only want to make changes where they can provide meaningful improvement to the product. Um, you know, and so why doesn't, why did the iPhone seven look so much like the iPhone six, even though it was two years after, mm -hmm. uh, cause they weren't ready to make something that was meaningfully better, you know? And then they, you know, then there was the iPhone 10 and yeah, all right, here, here's our meaningfully mm -hmm. better. Um, yeah, and I think they are improving so much, and it's so underestimated 
outside the Apple media <laughs> community, just how good Apple is uniquely at making ever, ever smaller, tinier computers. And the watch yeah. exemplifies that, right? The it, first it was Apple- so evident this year because Qualcomm had their huge event and they were going to show off their competing chip. And their first watch chip was a rehash of their old phone chip. And this year's watch chip was a rehash of that old phone chip with like a coprocessor on it. And it, it struck me at just how far behind everyone else is at making wearable silicon. Yeah, it's, you know... And, and how quickly Apple's gotten better at it, right? It's, yeah. It is, you know, the first one was underpowered, but it was probably the right time to ship it, right? Like It was I, at the thermal limit of the casing of that device at the time. Right. And it had, you know, uh, and it had, you know, the worst, it had significantly worse battery life than you get yeah. now. Like I regularly go days now where I, I, you know, put my Apple watch on in the morning, wear it all day, go to bed and keep it on and wake up yep. and it's still at Same. 49%. And I'm like, well, that's good. Because if I just have 24 hours in it, it's 49 hours. I can wear it all day and put it on a charger tonight. Yeah, um, same. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what you would have had to do with the original Apple Watch to do that. I mean, stay completely motionless. <laughs> keep keep your hand put it on over the, shelf. the keep your hand over the display. I mean, yeah. you know, the power consumption, the speed. You yeah. know, I mean, it, it's pretty remarkable. And as you mentioned a bit ago, the the way that they're moving, pushing forward with the health monitoring stuff is, you know, I think clearly the tip of the iceberg so far, but it's it's great. Like my, I bought them uh, for my family members, you know, because especially because of the fall detection and because of the the health, the um, heart rate monitor. But uh, my friend Georgia, she was she was home, she was walking down the stairs, and she fell, and she fell hard, and it went off, and her husband heard her. She fell so hard, her husband heard her and rushed downstairs to get her. But if she'd been home alone, that right. watch was like saying, "Are you okay? We're going to start mm-hmm. calling nine one one." And she was so happy that that feature existed in that moment. Yeah, I haven't heard. Have you seen any stories yet of of you know, we've uh, the stories that I've seen over the years are people who've been in car crashes and have used, you know been pinned behind the wheel yeah. and have used the call nine one one feature of the watch to get help when, if not for that feature, they you know couldn't reach their phone or you know could you know literally could only reach their wrist or whatever. Um, you know, thankfully, I, thankfully yeah. it's the type of thing you don't want to see a lot of those stories. You don't want to see people totally. get hurt. But I, I haven't seen anybody saved by a fall yet. I, I did see no, a story of somebody either. who got one and it, the, the irregular heartbeat thing. Yes, was uh, or when that fe- it wasn't when they got the watch. It was when the feature the came ECG. out. Yeah, yeah. And the feature didn't ship until a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah. as promised, you know, they did say it would ship late in the year and it did ship late in the year. I did see, yeah, I saw the story about the one guy he was getting, he was, it was like going off for him and he thought yeah. it was buggy and he, his wife, wife put the watch on and it didn't go off. And then he put the watch back on and it went off again. And she was like, shit, I guess I got to go to the doctor. And he went to the doctor and the doctor was like, yeah, you, it's a good thing you came in. You know, you got like a real problem. You should buy some Apple stock. That thing just saved your life. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So I haven't seen any stories about the fall detection yet, but I'm sure it'll happen. It's, you know, yeah. and I have seen reports I've anecdotal, you know, the anecdotal reports I've seen are like your friend George's where it's yeah. people who've fallen and they weren't significantly hurt, but the, the fall detection worked exactly as you'd want it to. Yeah. Yeah. Or she was hurt, but in her case, again, her husband was there. She didn't need the watch, yeah. but otherwise if she'd been alone, she would have really needed that feature. Yeah. Uh, anyway, good year for Apple watch. Uh, yeah. I would expect another one though. You know, another another annual update. I feel like yep. that they're still really, really pushing ahead, and there's so many ways to improve in that product. Um, yeah, absolutely. We got to go fast. We're running short on time, and <laughs> still got iPhone to talk about. Uh, 
<laughs> I really butchered this by spending so much time talking about a keyboard, but no. <laughs> uh, you know, what is there to say about the iPhone XS, XS Max, XR that we haven't before? I mean, I think it's a good year for the iPhone. I think the 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 this year's scandal. Last, if last year's scandal was the battery thought rattling, this year's is the even earlier than usual claims that sales are underwhelming. You know, yes. it's in past years, that's always seemed like a January thing. And now it was like an early December thing. And I think it is, uh, well, we'll see, but I think it's nonsense to frankly. Yeah. I mean, there's two, like there's two ways to think about it. One is that, you know, people like you, people like me have been talking about, uh, you know, bringing up the old Jim Cramer clips and all those things that show just how utter bullshit it is and that they have to go even harder at the rumors to move the market. Cause I still think a lot of it is just pure market manipulation and just trying to get people to short, like to lower, to, to sell shares so they can short them and make a lot of money. And then Apple reports its earnings and they can make it all back. Uh, and I think that's probably criminal. I don't know why it's never been investigated. It sounds criminal to me, but, uh, or, you know, that this is another case where the iPhone 10, um, and I think you mentioned this too. The iPhone 8 was comforting. The iPhone 10 was enticing, and people either stuck with the iPhone 8 or bought the iPhone 10. And there's no iPhone 10s supercycle. You know, the they pulled upgrades forward, or people are going to stick with the old version. And this is going to be just a normal iPhone year. Yeah, uh, but it's it seems crazy that people are so willing to bite on this when it's yes. there, there, there is no, there seemingly is no boy who cried wolf factor to the fact that this has happened years in a row and has never panned out. And then each time it's, it's as though it had never happened again. Right. Like, I don't know what makes this annual cycle of Apple has severely cut, uh, you know, supply orders from somebody in Asia and, uh, it's, you know, uh, just suggesting that this is the year where people stop buying the new iPhones and, and then it never pans out, but it's, it's, you know, I mean, the whole stock market is a mess at the time, but yeah. at, at this time, but Apple's stock has taken a serious hit. And again, I've said this before. I'm not really, I'm not really in this for the finance angle. I'm not, people yeah. don't, don't listen to the show or follow me for my advice on Apple stock. Um, you know, I'm mostly interested in their products, but where this affects the products is it affects retention because the yep. Apple stock is a, you know, a, a huge motivation for people to continue work. You know, it's, it's important to the people who are there. Mm -hmm. It can act as a draw for people who they want to hire. Um, and so like a significant hit to Apple stock can, you know, as, as like a butterfly flapping its wings in China eventually lead to, uh, a decrease in the quality of Apple's products if it becomes a retention problem because the stock yeah. is, is suppressed or depressed. The thing for me you is like we're, we live in an era where, where words like fake news are, are being weaponized and they're being used to destroy legitimate reporting. And I think that the only answer to that is to be even better in your reporting. And we, right. we keep seeing these terrible Apple supply chain reports, but also Bloomberg's big hack, which it's like months later now, and they yeah. we've done complete audit, and they've still not said anything about it. Yeah. And to me, that just, that just destroys the credibility of something that requires that credibility more than ever. And I think that's, that's a tragedy. Yeah, and it, you know... That's they. They seem to me clearly to be hoping that we just forget about that story, yeah. uh, and I don't think we should. And I think at this point, and again, it's not entirely fair, but I mean, at this point, when when other reporters come out with stories at from Bloomberg about Apple, it it has to it's you know has to be mentioned alongside that this is the publication that printed a completely a seemingly discredited jaw breaking story about Apple. 
you know, that. Well, and other publications in these situations, they've done their own internal audits and they've published their results. And Bloomberg seems to have no willingness to do that. Right. They really, they really don't, you know, yeah. it, and it's, they're, they're handling this very poorly in my opinion. And I don't think it's going to work. I don't think people are just going to forget about it. No, it's going to taint their all the, like you said, it's going to taint their reporting for the foreseeable future. Yeah. What else? Did you see the, um, uh, what's that? Uh, DXO mark came out with yeah. their rankings like <laughs> right before Christmas. And they buried it. It was some, like, the, yeah, it was a some, take out the trash lot. Yeah. It was like right before Christmas, DXO mark who comes out with these camera ranking phone camera rankings yeah. every year. And I've been calling bullshit on them for years, yep. whether Apple comes out on top or somebody else comes out on top. It's not about whether the iPhone is the top ranked camera or not. It's that you, it just makes no sense to say that the iPhone 10 S camera is a 97 and the pixel three is a 93. That doesn't make any yeah. sense. It does not make any sense to assign one numeric integer value to a camera. Uh, and if anything, as time goes on and the cameras in our phones are less about the physical camera, the lens, the sensor, and more about the computational photography that happens after the photons hit the sensor, after going through the lens, um, the, the idea of signing an integer to that is is ridiculous. I mean, one of the big, I mean, that's really, really what the difference between the Pixel 3 and the iPhone XS camera are. It's really not about the physical cameras. It's about yeah. what the systems do with the image afterwards, um, what they sharpen, what they do to certain color tones and stuff like that. It's very highly subjective and it's, it's ridiculous. But and the worst part is that they're also a consulting company, which they don't discuss, but right. like apparently this year, Google didn't pay the usual consulting fees, which gets right. them early access and advice on how to do better on the thing. So they didn't get a good mark uh, and they put it out late. Is and that, that the, to me, you just, you can't, you can't, you, you could never talk about this company again. If that's, if that's the situation. Well, I don't know. But last year when the Pixel came out on top, a lot of Pixel fans did crow about the DxO marks. Uh, yeah. This year, the Pixel 3 came out significantly below uh, the iPhone XS mm -hmm. and XR and a couple of other Android phones. And I don't, I don't hear anybody talking about it. No. <laughs> again, I think it's bullshit. I think it's complete bullshit. But I think yeah. it's the lesson to be learned is that everybody should treat this company as bullshit. Yeah. It this really display is made, I think it's, it's all very similar. Um. Oh, uh, God, we're running short, but uh, I don't really have much else to say about the iPhone XS and XR. I think it's a good year. I think the yeah. XR is, uh, is a great product. People are concerned. I guess the thing that people are concerned about is the way that Apple is promoting the XR as a $449 device yeah. with an asterisk. And then the asterisk leads to a footnote that says with a trade-in of an iPhone 7 or something, you know, like to get it for $449, you have to trade in an iPhone that has still has significant, uh, resale value, which makes sense. Cause if you don't trade anything in, it's a $750 phone. Um, so I, mean, I get it, but for years they were saying it was a $199 phone asterisk with a 24 right. month contract. So I mean, right. it, nothing and, has changed. You know, I get it that in some ways we'd like Apple to be above that sort of shenanigans. Um, but it's really hard when everybody else is selling things with prices that have asterisks for various reasons. Uh, I mean, the whole car industry in last 10 years has switched from telling you how much cars cost to how yep. much, how much it costs per month to lease them. Like yep, absolutely. They, they used to tell you in the car commercials, uh, you know, here, this card, you know, the new Mercedes C class starts at $47,000 or something. Now it is entirely about monthly lease prices. Um, 
you know, it is what it is. It's, you know, and, you know, and in terms of being, well, they should be above it all. Apple has always, I mean, I don't even, I don't know when they haven't been a 99 pricer, right? Everything is 499, 799. I mean, if we really want to hold them to the highest regards, they should be pricing these things. You know, they should say that it's $750, not $749. It's a human trait where we're always, we're always very careful how we want other people to use their money. And we don't care at all about how we use ours. You know, like we don't hold ourselves to these standards, but Apple, you know, they better do a lot of stuff that's just not in their best interest because we happen to think so. Right. But, uh, and I, you know, I'll say that. And I, I've been tinkering this year on my writing with, with adding the extra dollar and saying that it's 800 or 1400 instead of 1399. Um, yeah. it gets complicated though. Cause there's times when you really do want to be precise. And so it's hard to mix and match. Um, but I will say this, if I took a job at Apple and my job was to set the prices for products, that's my entire job, but I was going to be measured by, you know, how well sales were. I would price them at seven ninety nine, yeah, thirteen ninety nine. I used to work in product marketing, and you do right. that because that's how humans work. Right. That's literally how our brains work. Right. So you know, I don't think it's great that the ten R is being advertised at four forty nine asterisk, but I'm not. I, I'm not aghast at it, and I certainly don't take it in any way as a sign that the ten R was selling poorly. I, I, I think that was. I think this was the plan all along. I think that that part of the reason, part of the idea of having the iPhone ten R look so much like the iPhone 10s and 10s max and hmm why you know my my when yeah. there was rumors first came up my question was well how are they going to sell these higher end ones you know yeah. if this is so good um yeah and you know i think the answer is that they were going to market it this way you know that it's 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 very it's the 10r is being marketed this way cuz the 10r is the one that's meant to sell to people who are concerned about things like this you know most price conscious uh you know, it is what it is. And I think people you can are look at it both ways too. Like you could think, oh, Apple's desperate, so they're doing all these sales tactics. But you can also say Apple really wants to crush it with this phone, and has always wanted to crush it with this phone, and they were always going to do anything yep. they could to yep. sell as many of these phones as possible. Yeah. All right, I'm going to take a third break right here. Thank our third sponsor, our final sponsor of the year at the talk show, is OmniFocus from the Omni Group. Accomplish more every day with the trusted gold standard to-do app. It's been on Apple's app stores since day one. The Omni Group has been developing for Apple's platforms since the dawn of time. They are one of the great independent Mac developers with the highest standards for UI, code quality, software quality, approachability for new users, depth for power users. OmniFocus is available for Mac, for iOS, it's a universal app for both iPhone and iPad, of course. Apple Watch and brand new OmniFocus for the web is in public beta. And it's coming soon out of public beta, but you can use it right now. So that means you can access OmniFocus from any computer, anywhere in the world with web access, which pretty much means any computer. Now, you can trust it because all of the syncing between devices is encrypted. There's no way to sync without encryption. You can use Omni's own servers for convenience. You can trust them too. But if you want, you can even host on your own web dev server if you would prefer to have complete control over everything, including your sync data. What's new in OmniFocus 3? Well, my favorite new feature is tags. Tag, I love tags. Tags are my favorite way of organizing stuff. But with tags, what you can do is, of course, you're going to organize by product projects in a to-do app. And of course, OmniFocus has always supported them. But now with tags, you can tag things. Let's just say email. That means you can go to your email tag 
and see all of your tasks across all of your projects in OmniFocus that are tagged email and just go through them all at once while you're going through emails that are overdue. Other views, forecast view, that lets you plan ahead for today, tomorrow, two days from now with calendar events in line. Uh, most powerful of all are custom perspectives. That's in the pro version of OmniFocus. It's a powerful way to view your data any way you need. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about the Omni Group. They offer world-class tech support, even by telephone. Their tech support staff, it's not outsourced. It's a core part of their team right there in their headquarters in Seattle. They work side-by-side -side with the engineers who make the apps, the designers who design them. They are intimately familiar with every Omni, every Omni Group app, including OmniFocus. So if you ever need help, you'll be able to get it. They also have seriously world-class documentation, really, really great documentation. So if you're a self-learner, you want to just learn the app by yourself, truly great stuff. I could tell you a lot more, uh, but they can do it a lot better. Just go to omnifocus.com and right at the top, they've got a one minute video showing you everything new in OmniFocus three, scroll down the page and they have a, just a terrific illustrated guide to just how you get started with the OmniFocus system. And they have so many great convenient features. They make it so easy to add stuff to your inbox so that if the idea pops in your head, you've got a convenient way to just dash off that task, have it show up in your inbox, sort it out later. And of course they support Siri. So you don't even need to type. You can just talk to Siri, tell your new idea. And there it is in your inbox in OmniFocus. Uh, look, it's a new year. It's a great time to get organized. If you're dissatisfied in any way with the way that you organize your to-dos, your tasks, your projects, something like that, check out OmniFocus. Get the Mac app from their website. It's got a 14-day free trial, two full weeks where you can use everything free of charge just to see if it suits your needs. My thanks to the Omni Group. It's a great, great app. Please check it out at OmniFocus.com. All right. Speed round. Yes. Other products. HomePod. I think it's, you know, I think it's interesting that somebody came out with, I think there was a credible company that came out with a thing that's like ranked the top selling thing devices you speak to. And HomePod was way down on the list. Yeah. Um, but then they ranked the ones that cost like 250 or more and it was at the top of the list. Yeah. So the question is obviously, you know, it costs 350 bucks. I mean, I know you can get it at a discount. Uh, I don't know if it's been a disappointment to Apple or not. Surely they knew that they were going to sell far fewer of them than Apple sells of, or I mean, Amazon sells of $60 Echo Dots. You know, I'm, I'm happy with mine, but I will say this. I'm still, we have two in the kitchen and I'm still frustrated with how often they get out of sync and yeah. need to be unplugged from the wall and plugged back in to get them back to working. Yeah, like mine was, I just couldn't get mine to respond today. And then I tapped it and said, turn on Siri. And it said, Siri's already on. And then it just kept working from that. And it's like, what, were you on a coffee break? Yeah. And sometimes in addition to being out of sync in terms of playing music or only one, you know, music will only play out of one instead of playing out of both. And again, the, the easiest way to fix it seems to be to unplug them both, plug them back yeah. in. The other thing is they seem to lose um, track of our, every once in a while, they seem to lose track of our home kit stuff. And it's like, yes. I say to turn open the shades and it's like working on it. Yeah, still yeah, trying. No, totally. I think I think HomePod was a huge wake up call for Apple's executives because they didn't have to deal with Siri for years, and they didn't have to deal with AirPlay and the problems yeah. with Apple Audio for years. And this product gave them nowhere to hide. Uh, and now, you know, that probably led to a lot of the stuff we saw change over the year. Yeah. 
AirPods, nothing new this year. Still my favorite, no. still my very favorite product in the last handful of years. Yeah. From AirPods forward, still my very favorite Apple product. And I've still got my first one. They still have a tremendous, tremendous battery life. I, I, I don't know. It's probably lost some kind of battery life since then, but I still seemingly almost never have to charge them. I just think to do it every once in a while. Uh, I'm the same. I still have the original ones that we got right after um, we had to give ours back, like the yeah. the, the, pre- the prototype, whatever they were, not prototype, the pre-release ones yeah. back. I bought a set. I've been using them. And I, I, they're so good that I can see the Apple Watch taking over a lot of iPhone stuff over the years and AirPods taking on a lot of the Apple Watch stuff, like with all the health sensors in them, yeah. streaming Apple Music, streaming podcasts, all that kind of stuff without even having to wear a watch anymore. Yeah. Uh, Air power. <laughs> yeah. I don't. What are we at? Are we at, are we at December thirtieth now? Uh, December 29th as we speak. I 29th, tweeted today. Okay. I'm starting to get the feeling we may not see it in twenty eighteen. Yeah, be interesting. I'm my most interesting thing with that is whether the lack of a second version of AirPods is really being held up by AirPower because they don't want to ship the second version until they have the case that you can just rest on yeah. the AirPower. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I still wouldn't be surprised if AirPower just uh, never never ships. Would I, you have said something if you were Apple before the end of the year? No. Or you've not said any no. No. Yeah. Well, because I well, unless they've made the decision that it's never going to ship, in which case yeah. they should have announced it yesterday on a Friday <laughs> at the end of the year. That, because uh, HomePod they said they said it's not good. like we meant to ship it at the end of the year. We're not going to make it. We'll have it for you early yeah. next year. Yeah. But they haven't done that with AirPods. That's because I I think that they're still I I don't have any inside information on this, but the fact that they haven't said anything makes me think that that we're never going to ship this is still on the table, but that they yeah. haven't made that decision yet. And then, you know, and then they could just announce it and say, look, there's a bunch of cheap powered ones that are great. It's, it's the third party market has turned out better than we expected. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there we go. Uh, all right. Last but not least, it's uh, to me, maybe the biggest news of the year at Apple, I, I think yeah. was the hiring of uh, John Gian Andrea from yeah. Google, uh, which I believe they hired him in May. Uh, he was the head of search and AI, I think, at Google, at least yep. search, uh, but I think AI as well. Yep. Um, and I think most people would agree that Google is the leading institution, commercial or otherwise, in the, in the field of search and AI, uh, yep. which are not necessarily related, right? You could, it's in theory, you could be the greatest search company in the world and not be that yep, great totally. at AI or vice versa. Uh, recently was promoted to a senior VP level at Apple. I said last week with Jason, I, I was sort of surprised he wasn't a senior VP to start, but I almost feel like maybe it was just like, let's see if this works, if you're a good fit for Apple. It was nebulous. Like, I think his title was chief or something. Yeah. It wasn't even like vice president. Yeah. I, I can't help. I don't know if it's because of that John, John Brownlee situation years ago yeah. before they hired Angela Arns, but, you know, got the promotion. He's obviously here to stay. I think it's been, honestly, anecdotally, I think it's already been a great year for Siri. I think Siri is actually yeah. continuing getting better. Um I think that the signaling to the to the industry, in other words, of professional engineers and computer scientists who work in the field, is maybe the most important aspect of that. Right? That there was this gut feeling in the world of AI that Apple is not a good company to work for for this. That they, they don't weren't take even it, in the race anymore. Yeah, they don't take it seriously, and it, you know, it, it, in. You can make good money from Google or other companies. You could go to Amazon. It's not like, you know, Apple has good money to offer you to, to make a very nice salary, but there's other companies that could offer you an equally nice salary and you could do world leading work, right? So why go to Apple and do stuff that's not not looked happily upon and, and you don't get to publish your papers and stuff like that? Uh, I think that the fact, I think that the signaling that they've done by hiring him 
I don't like calling him JG. Apparently, every because his last name's a bit of a mouthful. Yeah. Everybody calls him JG. Personally, I don't really care for that. <laughs> you know, there's other JGs yeah. out there. I'm not sure if I know, you're familiar. I know. Um, yeah. But I, and I what's honest, worse is the Siri team was run by by Tom Gruber until just recently. Like you're all mixed up in this, John. <laughs> no relation, I will say. Yeah. Uh, no relation to Tom Gruber. But I honestly feel like it, that might be the single biggest news of the year at Apple, even though it's behind the scenes, it's inside baseball. Um, because I really do feel like it's the area where Apple has always been furthest behind, and yeah. I feel like they're catching up, and I feel like yeah. that's, it's a big reason why. And you putting him on the board feels like when they put John Saruji on the board, like they understood the importance of silicon to the company. And now they understand the importance of AI to all the future products they're doing from well, the autonomous technologies to everything else. Yeah. Well, let me small correction. It's not the board, right? The board is the, oh, not board, the board of directors. Sorry, the, the executive team. Executive team. The, the people yeah. with the senior vice president title. Yeah. Um, but I really do. And I, again, I wrote this and I'll say it again. You know, the Apple sort of has a boy who cried wolf problem with Siri and AI. Yep. And it's not that about lying, it's about not working, you know? Yes. And it's like, you know, in the way that the boy who cried wolf told a couple of lies and people stopped believing him, Siri, people tried it and it worked like crap or it worked ridiculously. Uh, and then they stopped trying, you know? And <laughs> I feel like Siri's already gotten better and people aren't trying it enough. And the advantage Apple has is that anytime you buy a new phone or you upgrade your operating system, they can put Siri right into the setup buddy and it can do something for you. And if they can make it rock solid and they can make it do something delightful for you during that first run or, or first upgrade experience, they have a chance to hook you back into it. They just got to yeah. make sure that it is rock solid and there is something super cool with it in whatever version they want to really push it for. Yeah. And the other thing that I think they've done, and I don't think this is entirely because of hiring Gian and Drea. Uh, I think this was already in the works before that. It wasn't like he instituted it. I think they were already thinking this way, but that they've started making, they've made Siri a thing that they roll out improvements and updates to on a regular basis. Yep. And it's not, it's off their uh, tentpole WWDC, you know, get everything you can into an update that ships in September. And then we'll see you next September with more improvements. You know, it's, uh, I think it's something that is more continuously updated. Yeah. Uh, response times are better. And I know there's some people who've been testing stuff like that. I know Gene Munster had to report out with a bunch of questions they asked, but even just the response times for some things are, are getting much faster and way more conversational. Like I just asked today about what time a, a football game was on tomorrow and the response was so fast. It was as though I was, you know, it was very, very close to the speed as which I asked a friend who I knew, knew the answer who was right in the room with me would have said, Oh, four thirty tomorrow. And, and the truth is, you know, uh, this is still the very beginning. Like anyone who says that app, that Amazon or Google has this wrapped up, it's not true yet. Not like I was just re I'm rewatching all the Marvel movies before Avengers Endgame comes out, and I was watching Iron Man two where he's working with Jarvis to build something. And until I could literally say, okay, save this audio file, wrap it up, send it to J like do all of the things that I want to do with the computer with my voice, no one has won this yet. Uh, and there's still tremendous opportunities here. Yeah, I think it's so early days. It's ridiculous, I, and I feel like the early days are lasting longer than the early early days of the PC industry because yeah. we went very, very quickly from like the Apple one in 1977 or whatever to the Mac in 1984. Like those seven years were blur. Whereas I feel like the AI is so much more complicated and yeah. the end result of what's actually a good AI system is so rich and that it's, you know, it, it is still early days. They're not, the fact that, you know, they spent five years, six years behind is not insurmountable. Yeah. 
No, it means it means nothing. We're still in the Xerox Park days, and someone can yeah. st- someone still has to ship the Mac. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, all right, I feel like that's a wrap. I feel like that's 2018. Awesome. This show, there's <laughs> the capper. This is the last part. The last the last thing in the entire Apple year is this episode of the talk show. Uh, Perfect. I thank you. I hope you have a happy new year. Thank you. You too, John. Uh, talk to you next year. Maybe I'll you see too. you soon. I don't know. Maybe we'll have an Apple event in January. Okay. Perfect. Um, anyway, it. have a great new year. You too.